Sweet. He's good to go. Yeah, man. I was, I was uh, born good to go. I want I want to know what body wash you use, Zach, because I feel like you're like an axe guy. <laughs> no, I don't use Not any store brought store bought brand. Hmm. What do you think it is? That. What I you think don't, it is? You don't you don't buy soap at all. No, he doesn't. No, I, <laughs> I do buy soap, <laughs> just not from like a, like a Walmart or like a uh-huh. Fred Meyer or something. Do you, do you order it in from like Salt Lake or something? <laughs> no, not from the Mormon Hub either. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Just wondering. It's so exfoliating with the salt. I don't know what what do you use? I use what's called a Yap wash, Y A W P, and it's by a company called Beast. I don't even know what that is. This is not a paid paid advertisement either it's not also where are you guys at right now so uh i'm in california okay okay yeah yeah, i remember you saying that sorry say it again zach i'm in new york state new york state okay cool so how did you guys get in touch with each other how did y'all get to know each other through the air force yeah so it's funny you say that uh zach and i met um in a in a east african country um called kenya and um yeah no, it's east african i got you zach yep. <laughs> and uh we met and uh i was i guess technically zach's boss you were and um yeah and um yeah we were just basically out there doing stuff <laughs> doing stuff with <laughs> other people freedom. doing stuff yeah yeah and mm-hmm. um yeah we've been friends ever since actually it's more been like a father-son uh rela- relationship <laughs> yeah. i'm but, his um, daddy yeah not true don't believe him <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, that's that's how we met, and uh, we've been friends ever since, for sure. That's cool. So, being in New York State, how close are you to New York City? Four hours. Oh. I'm in what would be considered. So, some New Yorkers consider anything above New York City as upstate, but mm-hmm. I would be considered like um, central New York. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, uh, New York's just outside great. Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York is really good. Where are you at, Luke? I'm in San Antonio, Texas. So, oh, okay, um, we're familiar. Oh, you okay? Yeah, you've been. Well, yeah. There's an Air Force base here, right? Yeah, my it's, it's, it's the yeah, Air Force base. It's, the, it's where everybody goes to go to basic training in the Air Force. We only have one base we all go to. No yeah. way! I didn't know it was here. Black yeah. Air Force Dude, base. If you want to just see the like airmen forever, as far as I can see, go to the Riverwalk on like a Friday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> Because they yeah, can be like nothing liberty. but noobs. Yeah, nothing but noobs <laughs> and blues, right? Yeah, With their families. Yeah. Mm, so I no ribbons. I do see that Anyone. all the time. Um, I yeah. used to work at the uh, I used to work at the Sea World here in San Antonio. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, you would see you would see blues all the time there. Um, like people who I would be like, they must have just gotten out of boot camp, you know, because they would mm-hmm. all come at the same they did. time. That day, um, yes, actually, <laughs> yes, oh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a week. It's a weekly thing. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. um, but yeah. So I'm in San Antonio, and then uh, part of the year I'm in North Carolina. That's where my family's at. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so my wife and I are here. She's in dental school, so that's mm. where we live now. Um, nice. So yeah, yeah. But cool. Yeah. We should jump right in, man. I mean, uh, we're trying something new with uh just like the organic open, but mm-hmm. this is, this is Luke Caverns, um, Luke Reagan officially. Right. But Luke Caverns, you can find him on social media. Is my, yeah. do I got that right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, Caverns is, is a second middle name. So Luke Aaron Caverns Reagan and oh, uh, there it Reagan is. just, Reagan just wouldn't have worked because of, uh, the president. So, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, anytime, like if I were to try to use that name, I would be constantly overshadowed. 
Probably. So, That's yeah, true. Yeah. So, so I show cameras, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Dude, so this this episode has been probably, what would you say, Zach, at least four months in the making because yeah. we have wanted to have somebody on to go over this topic. And in fact, and I'm just going to say it, I'm going to call, I'm going to blow us up, blow our spot up right now, Zach. We we did a poll a long time ago and it like was like, week hey, three. yeah, week, week three, what do you guys want to hear us talk about? And we gave all these options and one of them was ancient Civ. And that was the winner, and we've not done it since. So I just never did another poll because I was like, how can I do another one without having actually done the result of the first one? So this yeah. is it, guys. If, you, if you've listened to us that long and you remember that poll and you voted, this is us holding up our end of the bargain, and we'll try Shout not out. to wait so long next time. Shout out to Witham, who's probably at the edge of his seat waiting to hear this. Yeah, he's a friend yeah. of mine, and he's asked about it, so exactly yeah and thank you guys for for hounding me down getting getting me down to it i i, oh, I love doing i love doing podcasts but it's tough because like i just have so many so much crap going on right now mm-hmm. um, but i, I love like sitting down and, and uh getting on people's podcasts and just talking about whatever so dude yeah, uh, yeah. i'm just glad you're here man because i have been an, an indiana jones fan my whole life and you are like the closest you know i've never met harrison ford Right. Mm, but I feel yeah. like having you here is kind of checking a, a, a bucket list box for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I, uh, I wanted to make my when I first started making videos, um, <clears throat> I kind of had this. This was probably. Oh, I don't know, maybe just over three years ago now is when I mm-hmm. first realized I wanted to make videos about ancient history. Always loved it. I've loved ancient history ancient history since i was probably like six or seven it was whenever troy came out uh brad pitt's troy and um that just got me infatuated with ancient history and um and so probably just over about three years ago um when i realized i wanted to get into making videos about ancient history i was looking for people to i don't know you know you look for like rabbit holes to go down on youtube but there wasn't this there wasn't a guy like i want i imagined why is there not a guy who has his youtube channel based around if indiana jones were to have a youtube channel if nathan drake (laughs) or somebody like that were to have a youtube channel you know genius um and i was looking for that looking for that looking for that and i never found it and i just realized like i was probably i was probably the one i was waiting on and so Mm -hmm. shot i just took my shot and went for it and it took um started uploading videos in October of 2021 and so it's been 2 wow. years now. So yeah, it's it's moved along fast. This year it started really moving fast. I went like a right. whole year with not really a lot of growth and then uh all of 2022 with not a whole lot of growth and then 2023 things really popped off. I've heard um, quite a few other creators say stuff like that cuz this podcast is less than a year old. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, I think we've been pretty fortunate to be able to put out an episode a week and, um, you know, both Zach and I actually, you know, we're pretty busy lives just being active duty and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, I have always loved history as well. My grandfather bought me a book when I was a kid on King Tut's mummy. And then another one just oh, like on, cool. on Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Egypt was, I would say like my first love with history, which I think is true for a lot of people. But it's ever since then, you know, my, my parents had the the Indiana Jones VHSs used mm-hmm. to go to town on those, um, you know, that, and just the fact that I could not stop reading 
everything that I get my hands on with history. And so I just mm-hmm. have a very healthy love. My first um, you know, the thing I wanted to do when I first went to college was become a history teacher. That didn't work out. Um, Uncle Sam decided to, to, to get me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love history and I'm really glad to have you on, man. So what what is your like specialty, your background? Well, okay, so I'm an anthropologist. I uh, went to school, got a degree in anthropology. Um, but my specialty, I mean, I don't really have a divine a defined specialty. Really, it's just uh, really it's just like early civilization, I guess is the way to put it. I study uh, how people would have lived. So an anthropologist is basically the study of people. And so mm-hmm. I could study modern day people or I could study ancient people, and I much prefer ancient people. Because um, mm-hmm. I kind of romanticize it and get in like have be a little delusional about it. You know, you get lost in the right. lore of it all. Um, Absolutely. I would never study modern day people. I think it would make me sick. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So I study uh, early civilization. So you know, uh, Mesoamerica, which would be um, it would be Mexico all the way down to like northern Honduras. I study mm-hmm. civilization in there because there's a lot of un- unanswered questions. Um, been seriously studying South American history as well, like Andean culture. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on down there. Um, yeah, a lot of things that don't quite add up. Spent a whole lot of time studying ancient Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. Golly, just a ridiculous amount of time studying Egypt. I never really got into Greece and Rome. I mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It seems so. Uh, it seems so well-defined. Like, I think we almost know everything about Greece and Rome. Um, Egypt, there's still a lot of mystery. And in Central and South America, there's still a lot of mystery. So that's kind of, you know, the places where there's a lot of unanswered questions is what I dive into, at least now. I'm, I'm, I I would say I'm in, uh, in education entertainment. That'd be my specialty, you know? Right. Got you. Yeah, Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, Everybody knows about Rome and Greece. And, uh, but, I'm sure somebody you're aware of, Graham Hancock is one of the people that I, I, I kind of, you know, I lean towards and read a lot of his stuff. But um, he always talks about the Amazon being this untapped resource for research. And then, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, Pizarro, right, in the 16th century, went on an expedition up the Amazon there and reported on a bunch of civilizations that lined the river. And then when they went back, what was like 100 plus years later, there was nothing there. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like the, the jungle has done a really good job of hiding all of that. And then a couple of years back, I remember there was this kid who using, um, I want to say just like star maps was able to find a bunch of different little, um, what do you want to call it? Like towns inside mm-hmm. the, the Amazon. And, you know, no one had ever done that. And I know they use LIDAR and all this stuff to try and like map out the Amazon, but that has always been a, a super big interest of mine too. I feel like there's so much there that we have no idea about. Yeah. The Amazon, uh, the Amazon's pretty amazing. So I don't know what the square mileage of, is of, of the uncharted rainforest, mm-hmm. but I know that I'll the, figure it out. I, yeah, I know that the Paten is, uh, Golly, it's it's several thousand. So the Paten, that's that's the jungle that's in northern Guatemala, and mm-hmm. we know that there are lost Maya cities in there. And uh, if you'll tell us, Zach, real quick, what the square mileage is of the Amazon, um, <clears throat> but uh, so I, I want to say the Paten is like it's either nine hundred square miles or nine thousand square miles. It's something like that, and it's it's almost entirely it's like ninety nine percent uncharted, and we found 
maybe just less than 10 cities in that area. But mm -hmm. if I were to show you that on Google on Google Earth, and then I were to zoom out to the Amazon, the Paten is a speck. It's compared to the Amazon. And uh, so the Paten is more of my specialty. Like that's where I would, if I were to go try to find a lost city, I would go to the Paten rather than the Amazon because the likelihood is you will find one in the Paten. Anyway, right. um, there's 6. definitely- 6.9. 6.9 million square kilometers. Okay, okay. 2.72 million square miles. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So the Paten is 9,000, okay? And we have, it's 9,000 square miles, and we have surveyed approximately 1% of, of the entire thing. Uh, so that's 9,000 compared to, what, 3 million? Is that what 2. you said? 2.7 yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, almost yeah basically. 3 million. I mean, it's it's that's wild. It's, uh, it's impossible if if you didn't know where it was already, you're probably you're not going to find it. Um yeah. and you know, so you have all these stories of guys like Percy Fawcett trekking off into the jungle and uh, have you guys seen The Lost City of Z the movie? No. Or read, never. Or read the book? I have the, no. I have the book here somewhere with me. Um <clears throat> yeah, so it's a uh so it's Colonel Percy Fawcett. He's an English uh, soldier. And uh, I don't remember the backstory of what exactly his dad did, but his dad was kind of a failure that didn't uh, that brought some shame to his family. And in, in England at this time, you know, late 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, that's a very important thing. You know, you don't want to bring shame upon your family. You want to keep your family name alive. You know, people don't really right. care about that today. Um, <clears throat> but um. So he, his dad did something to shame his family, and he was kind of, Percy Fawcett was kind of looked down upon by these English aristocrats uh, who, you know, were part of the Royal, uh, I think it's the Royal Geographic S Society, like the Explorers Club. This is the very mm -hmm. beginning of the Explorers Club, if you guys have heard of that. And yeah. so these guys, they chart, they're, they're explorers that are charting the whole world, and they basically want to... Uh, um, well, they definitely have like a Eurocentric bias at the time. Like they think Europe is the end all be all of all civilization. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> they send Percy Fawcett, who's like the most expendable, uh, colonel or whatever, um, on, on a mission into the Amazon to map the, um, to map the Amazon river. I believe the it's border, uh, between Brazil and Bolivia. And so okay. while while he's down there, he goes on like a two year expedition to do this. And they're like they're, they like tell him if you do this, you'll reclaim your family name. Your your family would be in good standing. You'll make you know we'll promote you. Blah blah blah. But they really think he's gonna die, and uh, they think just it's like just go, yeah, just go, yeah, yeah. That's why that's why they're sending him down because he's he's expendable. Mm -hmm. Well, he ends up going down, and he like falls in love with the local indigenous people and how humble they are, and. Uh, and he starts hearing tales of this of these cities that are like littered with gold, these giant cities full of millions of people. And these are legends that had been around, right? From, you know, the days of uh Oriana and Pizarro. Mm -hmm. And um so he he hears about these stories as well. And so by the time he comes back, when he finishes the mapping project, he's now infatuated with the idea of there being a city out there. And so I want to say that's 1908 when he gets back from his two-year expedition. So 06 to 08, comes back, goes back a, maybe the next year or a couple years later. And he he's like, he's in and out of the Amazon until 1925 uh, mm -hmm. and he goes missing. 
And um, so he was looking for this for this place called the Lost City of Z, or he called it Z. I think I think he gets that from like a local indigenous tribe. And there's also um, it, it gets mixed up because people think he was looking for El Dorado, the city mm -hmm. of gold. But he was actually right. looking for something else. He was on the opposite side of South America. So okay. what what we take from that is we have these stories of El Dorado in Colombia. That's the northwest side of uh, the Amazon. On the southeast side, you have the Mato Grosso where Percy Fawcett went missing. And so er there and everywhere in between, people hear stories of lost cities full of gold that gets confused for El, El Dorado. As an anthropologist, I you know dive into the history of the area and I'm starting to realize there's not just it wasn't just one El Dorado. It was an entire continent full of different El Dorados, full mm -hmm. of these goldsmithing cultures and wealth that's been eaten up by the jungle. So this is something I really haven't dived into on my pages or YouTube at all, just because I'm I try to be super well read before I ever um, start talking about it. But dude, there's there is a whole world of civilization. I mean, all all of of Inca, Tiwanaku, if you've heard of that, um, all of Inca religion, Tiwanaku, Moche, Shavin, like all these cultures that are in um, the Andes, all of their religion comes from somewhere in the Amazon that's never been found. It, it, there's, there's a civil, there's a civilization or multiple civilizations that emerged from the Amazon and, and some of them went west onto the Andean, like in the Andean mountains and the Peruvian coastline. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of that culture, all the origins of that civilization are somewhere in the Amazon that's never been found. So that's like a whole rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know that because uh, you guys should look up, you should look into something called the Staff God. So there is a, uh, yeah, so the Staff God is also known as the Fang Deity, also known as Varicosha. If you guys have heard of, of oh, Varicosha. I've heard Varicosha before. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's kind of like the Westerner. Um, that's kind of what Westerners known it as, have known it as. But um, we know that the cultures that brought the staff god to Andean civilization. So for anybody listening, the reason, so you have the Amazon. Just west of the Amazon, you have the Andean highlands, the Andean mountains. And then just west of that, you have like the Peruvian coast and the deserts and everything like that. Then you have the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's just a sliver called the Andes. And there's not as much jungle there. It's not quite as dense. Sometimes it could be more arid, a lot more dry. And there were civilizations that arose in that area, creating monuments out of stone um, that can still be seen today. I mean, like giant megalithic stones like we see at Machu Picchu, Sacsayhuaman, mm -hmm. Alante Tumbo, Cusco, Lima, on and on and on. Uh, even the Valley of Pyramids. Oh, dude, y'all got to look up the Valley of Pyramids. There's a place. Get on, Zach. Yeah, yeah, so the Valley of Pyramids in uh, Peru. If I were to show you a photo of it and not tell you what it was, you would think it was Egypt. I swear, wow. it looks literally exactly like Egypt, and most people don't know about it. So, okay. and for anybody looking, looking, look up Valley of Valley of the Pyramids, Peru, and you'll think it. You'll think it's Egypt. It looks exactly. Zach, like Zach should be able to pull up and uh, share his screen. Yeah, that'd be find cool. a good picture. So yeah, um, I can. I'll pull it up. So in all of these cultures. We get um, we get a representation of a god that has fangs that's holding stalks of maize, which is just corn, uh, standing kind of stoically in every single instance. Yeah, look, if wow. if somebody were to show you this, you would think it might be Egypt. 
Well, if you Definitely. look, you've got like this almost looks like a wall. It was like a pyramid here. It's a pyramid here. It looks like a pyramid here that like toppled. Yeah. They definitely yeah. look like they lost their tops, but. Well, so they weren't, well, they were pyramids, but they're more yeah. like ziggurats. Have you ever seen a ziggurat mm -hmm. in, in the Middle East that looks like a, it's like a trapezoidal uh, structure that has a ramp that goes up to the middle mm -hmm. of it? Yeah. So yeah. It's, what's, what's weird is the same way that, Mesopotamian cultures built ziggurats. These are exactly the same thing, literally exactly the same thing. And this, uh, they have tombs at the top. It's amazing. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, how much does that look like Egypt? And those things are massive. Uh -huh. But they made it. They That's made wild. them out of a certain type of stone that didn't uh, that that weathered easily over time. So the the surrounding, like the outer exteriors of it, don't haven't held up. But on the inside, there are tombs and structures on the inside. They almost look like kind of like the smaller pyramids from Egypt. Yeah, they they kind they kind of because these kind of like have steps to them. And then when you look at mm. where, where'd that other picture go? So like one is like Hotep, I think, is the small like Egyptian yeah. one with like. So, so yeah. let me ask you this, because this is a question many people have pondered over time: What is up with the similarities between these cultures, you know, Mesopotamian cultures, Egyptian cultures, and then all of these cultures? in south america and central america with the similarities in their their construction right it seems to me that's that's pretty strange i know that somebody i think thor Heyerdahl, right tried to build a boat and take it across the atlantic at one point to see if it could be done but i mean what what do you think what is what is anthropology's answer to why the, mm. so, the similarities exist so that's obviously that's obviously where the hard the, line is right like that's right. uh <clears throat> So it's interesting. There's basically kind of three schools of thought, I think. Um, mm -hmm. You have traditional anthropology or archaeology that says, no, there's no connection at all. Um, and just I happened mean, to build pyramids because maybe it was like a sound structure. Yeah, sound structure. Okay. Or it's like, uh, you know, how like if you see an anthill on one side of the planet and an anthill on the other, did one mm -hmm. of those ant colonies teach the other one or or is it somewhere deep down inside of their being it's just instinctual to do that you know what i mean it's something that they're going to figure out no matter what you know good so point. it's kind of a that's that's kind of you know i i i wrestle with that as well um <clears throat> now it's if you even if you look at archaeological evidence that is accepted there's good evidence that in some places i'm not talking about like specifically the moche who are who are accredited to building the valley of pyramids um mm -hmm. and the ancient so so the moche are accredited to, to building the valley of pyramids between 500 a.d and 1000 a.d so 1500 to a thousand years ago whereas the egyptians like let's talk about the great pyramids according to traditional egyptology that is 2500 bc okay mm -hmm. so that's a three thousand and a half year distance difference in time and distance in time uh if you're you know at least that much so even if you're if they're right about the dates there's obviously no there's not going to be a connection there between 3000 mm -hmm. years there's not even a connection between the egyptians in 2500 bc and the egyptians 3000 years later there's no connection right. between them at all you know they they don't egyptians in zero in year zero had, know nothing about the egyptians in 2500 bc 
Right. So we know that through time, they're not connected. They would have had to exist around the same time. So, and then if you think that, you know, the pyramids were built in, you know, uh, pre-cataclysm, pre-end of the Younger Dryas period, then there's definitely not going to be a connection because those Moche pyramids are definitely not that old. They just know mm -hmm. that. They just know that because they actually have found bodies inside them, inside the core, and then the okay. pyramids were built higher, and you can obviously carbon date the body. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can do it to, like, a pretty good degree of accuracy. So we know about the time that those pyramids were built. So as far as the connection, it's, I don't know if I should say almost proven, but there's a lot of compelling evidence that they're definitely, that it was definitely possible for people to get from the old world to the new world. I mean, it did happen later on in, mm -hmm. in 1492. Um, and definitely the Vikings made their way into Canada and like Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if we're talking about the traditional ancient world, Mediterranean civilization meeting up with either Central or South America or Mesoamerica. Um, yes, there's a really interesting story uh, or a really interesting case to be made. Um, and Graham Hancock touches on it just briefly in one of his books. But um, I'm going to make a video like really going into this topic. So cool. there's an Olmec site called La Venta. This is in the uh, Mexico state of Tabasco. And I was there um, just in January of this year. And there's a monument called Monument 13. And uh, it depicts a man who's a tall, skinny man with like a well-defined mustache and a, and a pointy beard. He we he's wearing a turban and he's got pointed shoes and he's carrying this like flag that he's got in front of him. And there is a logogram that's down to the right next to him, which is it's like an early form of Mesoamerican writing. And it has a it has a foot, and then on the on the right of him, um, there's also other logograms that that are deciphered um, by I guess linguistic anthropologists that study Mesoamerica. Mm -hmm. They just think it means the traveler. This this is representing a person who's traveling. So mm -hmm. what's really interesting is <clears throat> the Olmecs are all depicted as being completely bald. They shave if they grew facial hair, which most uh, which most ancient Americans were notorious for not being able to grow facial hair whatsoever. It really wasn't in their genetics. Um, it's thought that a lot of them come from well, that it's it's all it's all thought that they come from Asia. You know mm -hmm. that they migrated over from Asia. Well, and then that some sailed from Indonesia on rafts and floated into Central and South America. And so you know you look at Asian people, they're not growing facial hair like you know like people in the west are and yeah. uh, or like europeans are you know um so <clears throat> it's just not in their genetics really to grow facial hair there's also no depictions anywhere of any mesoamericans or any ancient people in the americas anywhere wearing turbans so you have a giant beard and a turban that shows up out of nowhere and the in the olmec hieroglyphs say the traveler well that's not actually all there's another depiction of this same person, the traveler, meeting on a, there's a stela. I think it's like stela 40 something. And so they're, they're meeting two people and you see this person who's clearly not Olmec and you see this person that's clearly Olmec talking to each other. That's, that's at Leventa as well. And then there's some, and then there's like a shark god thing that's above them. And what's really interesting about that 
is Olmex, we don't have any evidence that they were seafaring, even though they were mm -hmm. on the Gulf Coast. We don't have any evidence that they were building boats. They didn't depict them building boats. So we don't really know that they would even know what a shark was, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe from the coast, you would see a shark, maybe, but it's just weird that it's also depicted with this person who doesn't look Olmec that would have had to travel through the ocean to get there. Right. The traveler. And then you also have from San Lorenzo, you have a clay face that was uh, it was clay or it was stucco. And it was, mm -hmm. it's a 3d rendering. It's like one of the, it's one of the original, um, it's like one of the oldest. Oh well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, in the way that ancient Greece, you know how they had their they had their stone or marble uh, statues that are that have like the full on features that are all life size or they're bigger than life size, but they're very sure. Real. This is exactly the same thing, made out of stucco clay, um, and it's a man with a really like pointy chin, a little pointy beard, a little pointy goatee, also wearing a turban. He looks literally nothing at all like anybody that ever lived in Mesoamerica. And dude, I'm telling you, there's nobody that's actually publicly talking about this. Like, it's just it's wild. Zach, you should see if you could find that statue thing. <clears throat> yeah, look statue up, called uh, again? It's uh, San Lorenzo. So S A N, and then uh, I'm gonna spell Lorenzo wrong. Lorenzo wrong, but L A R E N Z O. San Lorenzo clay head. And Dude. once you see it, you'll know what it is. It's going to be like a black and white photo. Um, so you got to think, if you are an ancient culture and then somebody comes across, let's just assume, on a boat and they look like that and they're totally different than you, that's exactly the kind of thing you are going to want to document and, yeah. and make, a, you know, make something out of it, right? Depict them in a figurine or, or a mural or whatever, right? Yep. So to me, that just says like this is this a momentous occasion happened in our culture. And we're documenting that this happened. That's the way I interpret that. That's that's the way I interpret it. And I'll tell you, that's the way that there are some archaeologists out there, although they never really publicly come out much about it. They're not ever really going to make any kind of uh, significance of this because, you know, they don't want to be seen as fringe, this, that, and the other. Let's see if this That's, that's unfortunate. So this one? No, so that's just a regular Olmec head. Um, so, so clay head. Oh gosh, man, this is this is a tough thing to find. Um, yeah, people aren't talking about it, so maybe look up stucco, S T U C C O. <clears throat> and you said, Luke, that I'll this tell you is what, because on my, on my recent YouTube video, it's on there. Um, mm. If you go to the chapter that says fringe, it's in my recent YouTube video, uh, the one called "Lost Knowledge of the Olmecs." If you go Lost towards the, the end Olmecs. of the towards yeah. the end of the video. Um, I don't know if you can hear my dog barking. Um, we'll get it. <clears throat> no worries. So towards the end of towards the end of my video, oh my gosh. Uh, so towards the end of the video, if you uh, click on the chapters where it says fringe theories, uh -huh. um, it kind of slides through it. I will show a depiction of a clay Found head it. somewhere in there. Let's see if I can find it. I found it. Okay. It's this one right here. Yep, look at that. He's got a big old pointy yep. beard. Whoa. <clears throat> a little mustache. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like a turban. Yeah, how bizarre is that? That's completely that's extremely bizarre. That's not like anything seen in, in the ancient 
Mesoamerica, ancient Americas, anywhere. And that is 100% real. And a lot of times there's stuff like this that, um, that comes up. Like, have you ever heard, have y'all ever heard of the real crystal skulls? Of, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so the real crystal skulls are thought to be black market fakes. And uh, one of the, like the most famous one, the, the Mitchell Hitchens skull or something yeah. like that uh, appeared in Belize. And those are thought to be black market fakes. Um, mm -hmm. This one is not thought to be a black market fake. All, all archaeologists who have anything to do with this acknowledge that it's real. So anyways, this would have this these um, depictions of this person called the traveler through relative dating of where they're found and what's buried around it. They estimate that it existed between 1,000 and 900 BC, okay? At exactly the same time as this, exactly the same time, coming straight out of the gates of Gibraltar in the Mediterranean Sea, you have the Phoenicians who are launching the first ancient expedition sailing out of the gates of Hercules, which is the Strait of Gibraltar, the western exit of the Mediterranean Sea, down mm -hmm. and around Africa, all the way back to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's documented that there were Phoenician vessels that went missing, leaving, like going around. They, they didn't just send one vessel. They spent, they sent multiple expeditions. Sure. So it's the Phoenicians documented that there were expeditions that went missing. There were also expeditions that came back and said that they didn't sail around Africa. They went too far west and they found a continent too far west Whoa. and nobody talks about this at all but there's i believe there's some discrepancies in the way it's described and if mm -hmm. i try to if i try to go into detail on it i'm gonna butcher it um okay. but yeah i mean the phoenicians said that they found something out there they found they found an island or a continent or something and then they they were able to sail back but none of this stuff is ever like fully entertained so this would have been around this would have been around 900 BC. So, I mean, yeah, you're looking at a much, 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 you know, 2,000 year earlier connection between the ancient world and the new world than mm -hmm. is currently thought. You know, we only recognize 1492 mm -hmm. um, as being the the date that the that the worlds collided. But uh, it could have been, one here been as far back as as 9,000 BC or 900 BC. I'm sorry. This is yeah. another one here. It's from Where the same from? same area. He's got a beard, little thing on his head. Looks like he's carrying an animal. Looks like a um. So that would be uh, the Olmecs depicted a lot of times. They depicted jaguars um, in a lot of their mm. art. And what's interesting is a lot of Olmec art seems to resemble this god that is seen in South America, which is the Fang deity. It's like a human with uh, jaguar fangs coming out of his mouth. And we assume that's what it is because we know it comes from the Amazon. Jaguars there, right? So, yeah, yeah the Amazon, and then you kind of go up into southern Mexico where the Olmecs are. And um, right at the same time that, that this ancient Amazonian culture is emerging from the Amazon and coming into um, the Andean highlands, it, there's a place called uh, Chavin de Hontar, which is an ancient city and that's where they start. That's like the first place that we 100% know for a fact because we have relics. Uh, there's a you could look up like a 
golly, what's it called? Uh, the Ramundi Stone. If you look up the Ramundi Stone, it's a giant stela that on the bottom of it depicts this this fanged deity. And this is going to date back to between 500 and 900 BC at the exact same time as the Olmecs. Um, and the Olmecs also depicted... Uh, they kind of worshipped themselves. Like, they didn't have a god. They, In some ways, they worshipped themselves. But it seems like the people that they worshipped could become a jaguar in the same way that this feigned deity was a jaguar so you're looking at like a a, you're looking at a religion a set of beliefs a like a a culture or an ancient culture that comes from the amazon and spreads across the outer edges of the amazon all the way up into central america into the time of the olmecs so Mm -hmm. it's it's um it's it's really amazing um there's just so many rabbit holes i could go down that's that's crazy yeah, were, were you able to it. find the, the ramundi stone <clears throat> how do you spell that probably r-a-m-u-n-d-i d-i-m-u-n-d-i i'm probably spelling that wrong but that should get you there so let me ask you this you talked about this is the first time i've not heard of it or i've heard of a city that was made of gold that wasn't El Dorado, right? Mm-hmm. So if the thought process is that there were other El Dorados, like you were saying, you know, what's what's the purpose of building a city of gold? You know, gold isn't even that um, durable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you have these stories of like the Aztec offering up all this gold to Cortez, you know, like mm-hmm. they clearly had it in abundance. Is that the purpose? Like you have this in abundance. It didn't have the same value to them that it did maybe a european person at the time like what why in is um, that or is it part of like their religious aspects of their culture well there's probably some uh there's probably some aspects of uh, importance that it does like in relation to religion but the mm-hmm. thing you got to remember is when the conquistadors show up they literally erased the history like anything that was written, anything that was orally known, uh, they erased all of it. Like archaeology is piecing it back together. Just, just for instance, you know, there's a big difference between between where the Aztecs were and when they existed, and when El Dorado would have existed. Okay. Um, so El Dorado, my, well, yeah, okay, well, El Dorado could have existed. Maybe it did exist at exactly the same time as the Aztecs, but the history of South America is is so much more broad and goes back so much further than the Aztecs do. So the Aztecs had only existed for between 150 and 300 years before Cortez showed up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, the reason that gold is valuable is because it's just inherently valuable. You can melt it down. You can turn it into anything. It turn it into anything you know you want. Uh, you can mold it. You can create things out of it and then just melt it back down to the way it was before. And it's just all people are able were able to figure out at some point gold is valuable mm-hmm. for that malleable reason. You know, I, it doesn't it doesn't weather. It just lasts forever. You could drop it at the bottom of the ocean and get it 50,000 years later and it'd be the same thing. So it's mm-hmm. just inherently valuable. Um, <clears throat> but um yeah, man. So so the reason that I think that they were building things out of gold is probably for that for that aspect that it's that it's inherently valuable. Um also probably just as like a uh just as like a flex of power. 
You know what I mean? You're, mm -hmm. you're able to acquire this gold. So they're going to kind of show it off. But yeah, I mean, it's, it was more than just one Eldorado in my opinion. Like mm -hmm. you have the Moche, you have Chavine culture, you have the, um, the Mushik culture, you have the, there's another one that I always forget the, forget the correct pr pronunciation of it. Uh, but then you also have the Inca, you have Tiwanaku. Um, so Tiwanaku, there's some evidence that it was covered in gold. Like, like the outside walls were gold plated or, or on the, and on the inside of the walls, they were gold plated because of these giant nails that they were, uh, hammering into the blocks mm -hmm. inside of the nail hole. They found remnants of gold inside the nail hole. And they think that there were plates of gold that were being hammered onto the walls of Tiwanaku. But in, when the Aztecs showed up in Cusco, which was the capital of the Inca world, they had entire temples that the inside of the whole temple was encased in gold. Like, like uh, the way we think of wallpaper, they had gold mm -hmm. as their wallpaper. They had, uh, they had like something called like the Garden of the Gods and, uh, or the Garden of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you went through the, when you, when conquistadors went through the garden, one guy before they took it, before the Spanish took all of it, I'm sorry, before the Spanish took all of it down and melted all the gold, there was one guy who recorded it. And he said that every animal that was indigenous to the area, that was natural from the area, had been recreated to life size in gold. And th the entire garden was covered in uh, like bushes, plants, flowers, trees made out of gold. Each individual leaf was made out of gold. So wow. when you're talking about when you're talking about like these legends that come out of the Amazon or come out of South America, talking about these cities of gold, it's, I, it's very likely that it's not just one. It, it was probably dozens and dozens of different cities full of gold, full of uh, like expert goldsmithers. I mean, even even up into Panama and uh, you go you start going up through Central America, we find tombs of of completely gold plated kings gold-plated royalty, gold buried in the ground from civilizations that we never knew existed. We don't even know one thing about them at all. Um, so yeah, South America and up into Central America, completely littered with gold. So, you know, El, El Dorado is most likely not just one place. It, it, it's likely a whole continent, you know, and, so, and I don't think most people realize that. So I have something that you're kind of talking about how you know, a lot of their history is just gone because they're like destroyed by the Spaniards and a whole bunch and like other mm -hmm. you know, other invaders and stuff. Um, so it just kind of made me think of like modern times. So today, a lot of our history and data information is on the Internet mm -hmm. or it's in some digital sense. Right. Um, we don't print as much as we used to. We're not we're not doing like carvings and stuff. Um, and I've read that probably in the next like 50 to 100 years, we'll probably all our history will be on the internet, on the cloud, or only accessible from some type of digital sense. But if that all blacks out one day or just disappears, that all the history is gone. Yeah. Is it possible that ancient civilizations maybe had some advancement to where maybe their stuff is also just gone forever because it was in some type of system that can no longer be accessed? Do you think that's possible? Well... <clears throat> yes, but not in like a not in a fancy way though, unfortunately. Yeah. Um so we know that when the so I have two explanations. Um there are two times 
in history when something like the burning of the library of alexandria i'm sure you guys are familiar with that mm -hmm. there's two times when something like that happened one is when rome conquers alexandria and they set the boat docks on fire to prevent people from trying to leave alexandria while they're conquering it and the fire so the college like the library is built right on the harbor and the fire spreads up spreads up the side and catches the whole library on fire and uh i think they i think it burned like half of it to the ground or something like that but like you know you're talking about millions and millions and millions and millions of documents just just burned to nothing Shame. um however more devastating than that was when uh, i want to say it's like 1540 something or 1560 something uh, a guy named diego de landa is in um, Merida, Mexico. And he sends all of his conquistadors around to gather up all of the scribes and priests of, of the late post-classic Maya. And um, <clears throat> he, got, he gathers all of their, he tells them to gather all of their writing, all of their books, and he throws them into what the chroniclers call pyres. So, you know, um, a pyre would be like a small mound, right? multiple pyres of books so you know you think like what if it's just three pyres like it's not that much right but really how many books would i have to take behind me to to make up three small mounds i mean how small is yeah. a mound six feet high how many books can i fit in a six foot high mound you know yeah enough enough to erase the history of the whole world i would bet um, yeah. you know if it were if it were written in, in just those books mm -hmm. so <clears throat> so he burns multiple pyres of these books but you know what kind of like what kind of measurement do we have to know how much that actually is well at the exact same time um or a little bit before that we know that at at, at the time of of first contact between the spanish and the aztecs that the aztecs were producing 485,000 pages for their for their books or codices a year 485,000 a year okay they had only been around for 150 to 300 years. The Maya had been around for over 2,000. And we know that they were writing more than 1,000 years before the Aztecs were, Aztecs ever came up on the scene. We know that they were writing. So they burned literally all of it. They just burned all of it. There's like, after, after the burning of the Library of Alexandria, there's still remnants of, of what's going on. The people are still there. They don't just destroy the civilization. Egypt still survives for a little bit. Um, and not all the documents are burned and, uh, and things are written in other places. Um, <clears throat> there may have been key things that were burned, you know, like uh, blueprints, construction, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, history around, you know, Zeptepi or where where you know the originators of of ancient egypt blah 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 maybe all that was burned but i mean you're talking about every single document of mesoamerica and the ancient americas was burned to literally nothing and at the same time disease that had never existed in central south and north america was spreading Wipes like wildfire out. yeah so <clears throat> so what happened was what happened was all of the people that are living in the main cities um, from from the point of contact. So, you know, the Spanish, they show up in the Bahamas, they go into the Caribbean, they go into the Yucatan. 
uh, and then they go all the way down to the Valley of Mexico at the same time to, to meet up with Moctezuma in, in uh, Tenochtitlan, New Mexico City. So during all that time, they're spreading disease into North America and into South America. And it ends up being multiple waves. It's not just one disease. It's like one, it's like a dozen diseases that come like year after year. And it kills about 110 million people. That's like, that's like an accurate estimate. Uh, there's a lot of- It's a third of the United States. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It kills 110 million people, of which they think that there may have been like 130 to 150 million people in North, wow. Central, and South America. So, you know, the vast majority of people die. But the thing is, the only people left are the nomadic, strange people that don't want anything to do with what's going on in these big cities that are living out in the boonies. They know nothing of what's going on. It's the people who are living up in the mountains that say, oh yeah, like those, those Aztecs that are down there, those uh, Calhuacan, those Maya people, the Toltecs, the Zapotecs, I don't want anything to do with civilization, with cities. It's like the people that live up in the hills today. When all this stuff yeah. falls apart, they're going to be the only ones left. Um, and they're not, they're not going to be a good resource for someone from the other side of the world to come in and go, what happened here? Like, how did all this fall apart? They're going to go, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, so the remnants of, of these major civilizations are gone because once disease gets in there, they all die. So, yeah. you know, everything is gone from ancient central South and North America. Um, so you're looking at very scant you know, evidence that's left. So that's like my whole, I've become obsessed with this. This is, it's so much more complicated than, you know, I think ancient Egypt is the introduction to people to getting into ancient history. Yeah. But when you get over into the Americas and you kind of learn to digest it a little bit, cause it's, it's so much more than you think it's going to be when you first get into it, you mm -hmm. realize like the ancient Americas is a rabbit hole so deep that you could never see the bottom at all. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's amazing, man. I'm, I'm like obsessed with it. I know I went on like a 20 minute tangent. Dude, just now, no, that, that's but... why we brought you on here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want to hear, I want to hear all this stuff that you're right. That is such a void in, in history and there's not a lot we, we know about it. And that really sucks. Um, the thing that's frustrated, frustrates me is what you were talking about earlier is how the you know, academia seems to kind of stifle people or not even talk about these things that you're referring to. And it's like, first off, like we, the rest of us who aren't, you know, as educated on this stuff, want to know what you guys are, what you guys know and what you guys don't share, you know, not you, but like proverbial. Yeah. And so to know that there's all this really interesting stuff that could challenge the status quo and what we think we know about our origin that exists out there, it's, it's kind of baffling to me. It's like, so you're going to let like a bunch of these brainiac egos get in the way of all of us knowing where we came from. That's just yeah. really frustrating. Yeah. Well, it's I'm sure been it's like that. You too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's been like that since the beginning of time, you know, it just, uh, I don't know why people are like that. Um, yeah. I mean, even, even archeologists that I know that are big time academics, they'll tell mm -hmm. you like, uh, you know, ego gets in the way. I, I man, one day I'm going to start naming names, but, uh, <laughs> Dude. I'm too I'm too early on in my career to start, you know, blasting people. But I mean, like, dude, I could name off names of people that aren't that aren't like in my field, mm -hmm. but 
they're the perfect representation of the type of person that I'm that like we're all talking about. And mm -hmm. uh and it's really interesting because it's like no matter what, once those people get to a point of prestige in their career, they mm -hmm. their ego gets attached to what they do. Mm -hmm. And you know, they like the idea of being the person with all the answers, you know, yeah. and that's, that's not a good thing. You know, you don't want to be a scientist who thinks that, you know, all the answers. That's like, that's like the of what you're supposed to be. Right. I almost um, said that word. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, so, it's human well, nature trying to navigate science. Right. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, it's, so I'll, I'll say this, like you're talking about somebody essentially gatekeeping all this information or, mm -hmm. or pretending like they have it all. Um, and don't, you know, like, don't get yourself in trouble, I guess. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. that's kind of always been my uh, estimation on somebody like Zawi Hawass from the yeah. Egyptologist is that mm -hmm. he gatekeeps all this information and he prevents people from going and actually exploring the the remnants of the Egyptian, early Egyptian culture and yeah. from actually getting real information. I mean, is that, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? With somebody who yeah. is just stopping. Yeah. Yeah. Name well, science. He's, he's a bad guy. <laughs> he's, yeah. not, he's not a good person not right. even not even like not even just on a professional level like on a personal level he's a bad person um mm. and okay. uh my personal opinion this is where i kind of differ from uh my colleagues i guess or people who are in a similar position to me um okay. <clears throat> i personally think that they're there may be some evidence out there of a of an ancient lost you know kind of atlantean mm -hmm. diluvian civilization mm -hmm. um but i think the evidence is more scant than we than we mostly think mm -hmm. and i personally don't think that zahi awas himself there may be some things he knows i'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that he knows though mm -hmm. the the thing about him what i think's going on when he's on these dig sites and he doesn't allow people on them and he performs digs by himself Mm -hmm. I think that guy is in touch with nameless billionaires who live across the planet that want mummies. They want artifacts. Mm -hmm. And it's more profitable for Zahi Awas himself to lead a secret dig that he doesn't allow anybody to come see. And then mm -hmm. he sells the artifacts on the black market to billionaires around the world who have their own private collections in their basements where they can have their other billionaire friends like Jeff Bezos comes over. And they're all talking about all the cool stuff he has. And he's like, you want to see something I've got? Come down to my basement. I just and Amazon let's take a mummy to mummies. space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's take a mummy to space. What yeah, a piece so, of shit thing to do. Yeah, no, I guarantee that. that I mean, um, rich people buying Egyptian artifacts has been going on oh, yeah. for like a thousand years. Something crazy like that. Wasn't it something that the Victorian era was pretty common was to eat mummies? That's fucking yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mummia, I think that's what they mm -hmm. called it. Mummia. Yeah. They did it to like cure uh, ail uh, illnesses or illnesses or ailments, mm -hmm. whatever. They ailments. Ailments. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's one. Yeah, I can't think of you, any dude. word. Ailments. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's funny about that? I did a whole video on that. Okay. Just over, just over a year ago, and okay. uh, so basically. Yeah, some guy came up with this, like, with the best scam ever. And he started telling people in the Victorian era that, hey, you know, if you uh, 
you pay me, I'll I'll cook up a little bit of this uh, flesh from an ancient royal mummy. This comes from a royal. This is a royal mummy, a royal tomb. Uh, royal the the soul that lives in this body is going to live forever because of the Egyptian spells that they put on it before they entombed this person. So now we're going to uh, exhume them and we're going to chop them up and we're going to you know grind it all down and let you eat it and it'll cure all of your ailments. Well, so they ran. Yeah. So the so the guy who was doing this ran out of real estate with his uh, royal mummies. So what he started doing, bro, is he royal started rats. going to where the poor people in ancient Egypt were buried. <laughs> oh my and, god! And digging them all up, and then selling their body parts all all over the you know Victorian Europe, and he was selling poor dead people that had died two thousand years earlier to rich Solid. people and letting these people eat letting these people eat uh, all these mummies and so of course you know nobody ever got better from that but uh Did you yeah, know yeah. Of? it's a funny story yeah that i know of yeah um, they're alive forever they're hiding yeah. it's have, have y'all ever, ever heard of um so y'all heard of obviously king tut's tomb um mm -hmm. <clears throat> have you ever heard of of all the people who worked on that what happened to them they're all like dead. lord lord carnarvon and all them like the, the mummy's curse yeah 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 so they yeah so they, they're you know they open up the uh this they open up the tomb but on the seal of the tomb it, you know there's some kind of spell that that uh tutankhamun's um priest would have put on there that says you know should anybody disturb the grave or burial tomb of tutankhamun they will be mm -hmm. cursed and surely die something like that well, so they open it up. I think what Howard Carter is that the guy who yeah, that's the archaeologist that let it. Mm -hmm. um, so they open it up, and sure enough, man, within uh, I think the next like within the next decade, they all all seventeen people or something like that. Horrific mm -hmm. stuff happens to all of them, and they all die. And Howard Car Howard Carter is the last one. Well, what's interesting is the paint that the Egyptians used on the inside of the tomb had made the air like filled with carcinogens and so there you're walking into a room that paint has just been like mustering in the air with nowhere to go now you're breathing Cancer in air. and you like poison paint and you're, yeah basically so you poison yourself and then wow. you die so in a way the the mummy's curse was real which is yeah. interesting i've never discussed this either it, this is so cool about like this point in my career or whatever like where mm -hmm. i'm just now talking to people there's so much that i like nobody knows that I opinions that I have. It makes me excited to talk about because I'm like, I, there's we so much. We want to hear them. Just keep yeah, yeah, want to hear them. There's yes. so much stuff where I'm like, like I haven't ever talked about this before. Yeah. But dude, I think, I think that okay. Let's put my own religious views to the side. I'm always open about it. I'm Greek Orthodox Christian, so okay. I believe like the let like if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to follow the letters of Paul, right, and what he wrote to the Greek churches. That's okay. So I'm Greek Orthodox. Putting that aside, dude, I definitely think that there's something spiritual about the world that we live in. And mm -hmm. when these Egyptians, they're doing, they're all, in my opinion, look at ancient cultures and look what they do in the name of their gods. Look at the mm -hmm. things that they achieve and the genius that's put towards achieving things. Like, like uh, a, lot, a lot of times the Maya would build these giant temples. This is on the other side of the world. Um, mm -hmm. But the Maya would build these giant temples, and then they would say, "Oh, well, the gods did it." They wouldn't even take credit for it. 
right? It's there's a lot of interesting stuff like that. Um, you see that you see that sometimes in the old world, although you know, you do see vain pharaohs who put their names all over everything, right? Is that like the so, ultimate display of humility or something, or like what? Well, it's like by the grace yeah, of the God, I was able to do this or something. Like it's okay. like it's yeah, yeah, God's it's, bidding it's, it's that allowed display. me to accomplish this. Yeah, it's a display of humility. The Maya, which one reason I like them a lot is uh they're very self-sacrificial, literally. Mm -hmm. They they sacrifice like whereas the Aztecs the Aztecs were like, Oh dude, I'm not sacrificing myself. We're gonna go capture that guy. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like they're like since since his you're, heart. Yeah, since you're some crummy homeless guy living on the streets of Tenochtitlan, uh you're you're worth about ten or, or or ten of you are worth one good guy. So rather than sacrificing the good guy, because we need him, because the Aztec Empire isn't doing that well, we're going to sacrifice ten homeless people to make up for it. Modern so problems Maya, require modern solutions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so the Maya, they were sacrificing. The Maya sacrificed their own people, and they sacrificed the best. So if you were the prettiest, oh, wow. if you were the prettiest, kindest girl of the city, your ass was getting sacrificed. You know Damn. it. If you were the playing the Maya, game. if you were if you were a great Maya ball player, people only got to watch that for about one game. Because if you won, you were getting sacrificed. So, <laughs> so no, Tom Brady. To be no Tom Brady, <laughs> no right? Tom Brady's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you can see that like humility there, though, right? Like that's mm -hmm. a lot of ancient cultures did accomplished a lot in the name of their gods, and so it's hard to deny. I mean, it's argue, it's it's. It's easy to argue the fact, and I think Graham Hancock argues it too, that civilization began because of religion, because of mm -hmm. shamanism, because of people uh, taking, you know, natural uh, psychedelics and having, um, having like spiritual experiences where they were meeting other beings, and mm -hmm. a lot of that sparked like science, like uh, um, experimenting. Dude, you are, you yeah, are going. going right down like my favorite pathway right now like <laughs> oh, uh, really? are you talking yes are you talking about like stoned ape theory and yeah like, some of the stuff that you ever read the immortality key by uh brimer rescue no i never read the immortality okay key. we'll stay away from that one but like <laughs> yeah. the stoned ape theory is that kind of what you're talking about yeah although although i don't uh, you know, I have so many rabbit holes that I'm that I'm mm -hmm. constantly going down. Um, it'll take me. It, I mean, like seriously, it will take me years to get to a point where I start reading about the Stone Day theory. Um, okay. I just have so much crap I got to get to, but I kind of mm -hmm. know the basics. And um, yes, I think it's certainly possible that you know these. Uh, I don't think they were apes, but Stone Ape theory sounds well. Okay, no, Stone Ape theory is like. Is that what is that what caused like the rapid uh, evolution from from like uh, Arthropithecus romulus, which is like our our ancient ape ancestor, to get us all the way to where we are today? Like they start taking hallucinogens and they start evolving really quickly in their intelligence. Yeah, so essentially by eating these mushrooms that have these natural capabilities to enhance your brain, that mm -hmm. that's where the brain size we have came from and hence why we think complexly and we're able to do things we we do right and that's mm. kind of where that's like the root of of the stone deep theories that that's where our big brains come from Dude, and I, you know i mean it it's a it's a fun explanation to look mm. at i think i'm not a scientist or and i've never spent the time trying to say you know i'm going to prove this i don't have the skills right but yeah to think i mean that's that's i don't know that's at least a fun thing to play around with i think about what yeah yeah 
I got full blown creationism. You know what I mean? No, I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm not a full blown creationist at all. I mean, I don't think that. I don't think that the six days that it says that God created Earth is. I don't think it was actually six days. Probably more likely six segments of time, just like the scientific theory, uh, you know, thinks. Um, You know, oh, dude, we one day I'll have to come back on and we'll go down the Bible. That is freaking crazy. (laughs) Bible. Love it. I'll just say for anybody anybody who's a skeptic, the Bible Mm -hmm. is wildly accurate when it comes to historical, when it comes to like historical accounts, that Mm -hmm. thing is freaking accurate. It it has a whole bunch of cross references to each other from like past and present and future when it was written. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no book quite like the Bible. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that's my bias. But anyways, so continuing. (laughs) um, So look at what all these civilizations did in the name of their gods. Mm-hmm. I think there's something I think there's something definitely very real there. Okay? I think that I don't know. I mean, as an anthropologist it's weird saying this. But, you know, when you when I read about people taking ayahuasca journeys and they meet a this goddess deep in the jungle that is able mm-hmm. to diagnose things going on with their life and Mm -hmm. one person can meet this goddess in one dream and the goddess can reference the other person that they're with who's also on the trip and Mm -hmm. that person can meet the goddess and something is happening in their dream at the exact same time yeah or other people some people will meet this goddess and the goddess will torture them and then will cure their addiction to meth or will or will cure their addiction to alcohol and they wake up and they actual like they have a chemical change while they're on ayahuasca and they're cured of something that's happening to them. I think it would only take things that are very profound like this to actually mm-hmm. move human beings to create the things that they did. Like, um, okay, so Imhotep, who's the great architect of ancient Egypt, and I'll bring this mm-hmm. back to uh, to Tut's tomb in a second. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Imhotep, do you guys know who this is? Mm-hmm. This is the. I- yeah, I've I've heard of him, and I know that the mummy totally ruined who Imhotep really was. The movie, yeah, right? yeah, well, yeah, it made him this bad guy. But yeah, the the mummy is a great movie, but it's very mm-hmm. wrong. It is, yeah. Um, so <laughs> sorry, for yeah, treasure. yeah. So um, so it's very wrong. But so Imhotep is seen as being like the way we look at Aristotle, and the mm-hmm. way that we look at Plato and Solon, and mm-hmm. um. <clears throat> This is Imhotep is the first of these guys. He is the first philosopher, great mathematician, the very first physician of the ancient world. He starts something called the cult of the pharaohs, which leads into um, it's it, it might be likely if if all these giant megalithic structures. This is an explanation that I don't think people golly. I mean, even even um, your normal like orthodox archaeologists and anthropologists, Egyptologists, they don't even inter- really entertain this. But it's kind of it's kind of a fringe theory, and it's alongside the idea that a lot of these structures are built by um, built by like an earlier culture before Egypt because it can't be explained. Mm-hmm. You know, with these giant megalithic blocks. Well, Imhotep started something called the cult of the pharaohs, and this is the precursor to her to greek hermeticism i mean all of greece all of their ideas of law and philosophy democracy blah 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 well maybe not democracy but a lot of their beliefs just come from egypt um but egypt emotep started something called the cult of the pharaohs and it may have been a secret guild 
that had all of these different understandings of sacred geometry of the way that the world works. You know, you can see it encoded into the pyramids. I mean, and mm -hmm. Imhotep wasn't alive for the construction of the Great Pyramids, um, but it may be likely that all of this stuff was figured out during Imhotep's time or his or his uh, successors figured it out. Mm -hmm. um, but it's likely, I think in my opinion, it may be likely that the reason that we don't know the secrets of how they built all their structures is because it was purposely kept a secret. The cult of the mm -hmm. pharaohs knew about all of this construction. And the reason we don't have any blueprints or any representation at all anywhere in ancient Egypt of this kind of megalithic construction is because it was strictly forbidden. It was knowledge that only the pharaohs and the council of the pharaohs was supposed to know according to Emotep. So that's kind mm -hmm. of a whole rabbit hole to go down. But I if think I could... that... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, go ahead. No, I was gonna say if I could just say like two things real fast. I've often thought about this before. You tying back into what you said about the whole ayahuasca journey, some of these people go on. And there's these shared experiences because the, my personal belief is there is some other level of consciousness that we're all mm -hmm. able to achieve. And I think that kind of tying into the person we had on a couple of weeks ago, um, Dr. Donald Hoffman, he talks about how basically our brains have evolved to only show us the things that maximize survivability, right? So that it kind of weeds out things that we don't necessarily need to survive. Um, and that maybe at one point along our evolutionary pathway, we all were able to see and interact with this other level of consciousness and that as time has gone on, we have moved away from it and now are no longer capable of seeing it. Some mm -hmm. people are more open to it than others. Maybe somebody you'd call like a medium or something like that. Yeah. And so I've always like, and there's, we're moving away from like real like science now moving more into like, you know, that, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, but that all of this ancient knowledge of um, sacred geometry and stuff like that is is more so a conscious understanding of the word, the world and the way it works um, in a way that we're not going to logically explain because we just maybe don't have the capability anymore to do that. And I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but, and I, that's kind of how I view a lot of this because you're even talking about this guild of the Pharaohs sounds a lot like Masons mm -hmm. um, and just kind of the way that they hide information and stuff like that. Too. Well, I'm not a Mason. No, no, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're totally right. Like, you know, the precursor to the Masons is the Illuminati. The precursor mm -hmm. to the Illuminati is the Templars. The precursor mm -hmm. to that is the is Hermeticism. Somewhere along yeah. the way, you know, yeah, because yeah. the Templars, what they work for Rome, is that right? Well, so the Templars were maybe. originally um, like enlisted to guard people going on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and they're okay, basically okay. to protect not them. Rome. Is that in England? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. So they were an arm of the Catholic Church, which obviously is located um, okay. in Rome, right? But that's, yeah. was, that was the initial point of the Templar was mm -hmm. to protect uh, pilgrimers on their way to the Holy Land from yeah. basically road thieves. And it's obviously yeah. it's morphed into something totally different, right? Yeah, as time went sure. on. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, okay, so if they were in Rome, now I'm not a, like a, that's a whole blank spot for me. Like when you go from, mm -hmm. when you cross over from Greece to Rome, I know a little mm -hmm. bit about Rome. And yeah. then, you know, the fall of ancient Rome and then mm -hmm. how that leads into the dark ages. I literally yeah. know nothing about the dark ages. There's just so right. much to know, but I do know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do know that. Um, I do know that. Yeah. The Templars, you can draw a vague line back to the, her back to hermetics or hermeticism in mm -hmm. Greece 
Um, and then that go, and then the hermeticism comes from the cult of the Pharaohs. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know, man, it might be one straight shot from, from the beginning of civilization all the way until now, it might just be one continuous group or like the fledgling of a group trying to put it all back together every mm -hmm. few hundred to a thousand years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I would love to know. Golly. Yeah. Like if I was a I'd love to be like a thirty-third degree Mason and actually know like what's the most that you guys know? Like right. no BS. How much do you actually know? You know, and I'd love to be either mind blown or be like, oh really? That's it? Like that's not exactly how I think. Yeah, you know? dude. Like you're just gonna brain matter is gonna come out of my ear, or I'm gonna be like, dude, that was it. What that's it? You know, why do you guys mm -hmm. even keep this a secret? You know? Or or it's probably like uh or it's probably like you know, you get to 32nd degree Mason and you're like, you're like, man, what is actually the next step here? And then they mm -hmm. go, they go, we think you're ready for it. Then they fly you out to like Epstein Island. Exactly. Dude. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, no, no, no. Dude, at, like, yeah. Uh... At what point do they pull you aside and show you all the plans for all the nefarious crap they're going to do to the rest mm -hmm. of us? You know what I mean? Is yeah, that the yeah. level that they, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I actually have a question a little bit about what you were talking about with religion and, and King Tut. So, okay. and correct me if I'm oh, wrong. Dude, I'm sorry, man. Uh, no, no, no. I want to finish my point. I never got Please. it. I never brought it back to, to King Tut. That's my fault. You go right, Remember, dude. Yeah. No, no, no you're okay. In. Remember what you were going to ask me. I just want to say I, no, I got one it. more thing. Okay. Still so all of that, that like 20 minute monologue that I went on was to mm -hmm. preface the idea Mm -hmm. That there's something, there's something that is that cannot be studied right now. There's something mm -hmm. that can't be brought into a lab and put under a microscope, and something that connects all of people through time and mm -hmm. space. And there's some kind of purpose, in my opinion, to all of creation. And I yeah. just think it's funny how things like those Egyptian pharaohs putting the curse on the tomb how they had no idea that the paint they were using for the inside of the tomb would poison the people who would, yeah. who would break into the tomb. But it still happened, didn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? They still were right, but they didn't That's know true. the way that they were going to be right. And it's just funny how life happens like that, you know, and mm -hmm. it's chalked up to like, oh, that's coincidence. But you see right. it happen so many times. It's just, it, there's just, it just seems in my mind that there's some kind of divine providence that's in the world. And maybe, I don't know what the inverse of the word divine is, some kind of like evil providence or something. But, yeah. you know, I think that like, uh, and, and I want to preface, like I don't have like a clear cut black and white view of like God and anything other than God is like pure evil. I just don't know that. Um, mm -hmm. But but I think that there is some kind of other, there's some kind of thing out there that um, has a sense of irony like that, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, like a, well, it's like, I think it's like I think it's like a power yeah. of collective like, like belief. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah, brought yeah, this yeah. up before uh, in previous mm -hmm. episode with Brandon. I can't remember yeah. guest or not or what episode it was, but it's like the it's probably one of our like question podcast episodes. But it's like the collective power of belief. So like, what if the ancient Egyptians, when they sealed that up and they made that curse, enough of them believed it that it just yeah. came to fruition later? Because mm -hmm. like, there's the idea that if uh, like enough people will hope that you feel better, like that goodwill and energy and thoughts can actually the make power you feel prayer. better. Yeah, yeah. The power of prayer and stuff. Like mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of instances where just if enough people believe it to be true, it will be true. It can just happen. Well, have yeah. you, are you guys familiar with like the the term tulpa? 
Now we're no. st- like we're staying on the woo side of things right now. Mm-hmm. So Tulpa is essentially where somebody does or a group of people does what you're talking about, Zach, where there's so much thought and belief that goes into something that it has its like physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. And it could be a spirit or um like the whole idea behind Slenderman. Obviously, Slenderman itself is not it was it was it was a video game, right? Wasn't it? it was like a Reddit mm-hmm. thread, one of those like creepy pastas. Yep. And then then you start having all these people that talk about seeing it. Now, I don't think Slenderman is real, but that's like the thing that people talk about is that if you can you throw enough in, you know, belief and thought into something like Slenderman or, or mm. you know, whatever, that it becomes reality because there's this whole concept of manifestation and you're creating when you're speaking, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, that's a tulpa. Well, this, I mean, mm. what's interesting is that that's, that's spoken about in the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus says, Jesus says, if, you know, if you had the faith that was, uh, you know, the size of a mustard seed, you could make what trees talk and make mountain. You could, you could make, yeah. what is it? You can make mountains stand up and walk or stand Hold up, up and, move and make tree talk, trees talk. I mean, he's like yeah. talking about like, if you believe yeah. you can do it enough, you right. could literally do that. I've you know? heard that before. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know. That's interesting. I have never made the connection between like manifestation and mm-hmm. you know what Jesus is saying, and I might be misconstruing what he's saying. But um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, don't, I don't want to misquote the God. the quote right. was yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but, if uh, you have you know. faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, "Move from here to there," and it will mm-hmm. move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't that amazing? It is. You know what's you know what's crazy is I gotta say like. This whole um, ancient history video th- thing that I'm doing, I spoke mm-hmm. about this on the. Uh, I was on the Concrete podcast a couple of weeks ago. Have you guys ever heard of that? You were uh, on Concrete podcast, yeah, yeah. yeah it, hasn't, it, hasn't like... come, it hasn't come out yet. It'll be out in like three weeks. Um, nice. So Randall Carlson's episode comes mm-hmm. out some maybe today or maybe a week from today. Uh, we mm-hmm. can check see if it's if it's already out. Um, mm-hmm. He's got one with Ben from from Uncharted X. You guys know who that is. Yes, uh, Ben. I've tried to get him to come on. Yeah, I've tried to get him to come on. He's never written me back. So Ben, if you're listening, please. <laughs> it took him. It took. It take. It still takes him forever to to, uh, to write me back. But mm-hmm. uh, so he had um, Danny Jones on on Concrete mm-hmm. Podcast, and Randall on, and then Ben on, and then me on, and then he has Chris Dunn after that. Oh, so, wow. um, but I was on his podcast and I was talking about. You know, um, I don't really talk about it, but it, this whole thing is like a personal journey for me as well. Um, you okay. know, I, I'm the type of person I take everything personally. Um, mm-hmm. not like I'm salty, but I just, it's all personal to me, you know, right. and, uh, trying to create some kind of life for myself, doing what I love, mm-hmm. talking about what I love and sharing it with people and not being constricted to my day job, which I, I still have. I mean, I, yeah, I work a day yeah. job Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it's interesting, man, all the things Every there's nothing that I imagined that I could possibly do that has proven that it won't happen yet. Almost mm-hmm. every single thing that I that I had imagined in my in my life, like going down this journey, like that could really happen. It all mm-hmm. happened. It's all yeah. happened so far. Manifest you know, like like uh like you know I don't know meeting Randall Carlson and and uh, getting awesome. put in this little circle of all these guys. I mean like all of a sudden now I'm I'm in the conversation, which is freaking crazy mm-hmm. um and uh man it's just it's just insane I, I i'll probably never say this publicly again 
I had a dream last night that okay. I did ayahuasca with Joe Rogan. <laughs> I don't Dude, know where. I don't you know where this do came it. from. You got to do it. I don't know where this came from. I would but, love uh, to do that. But it I woke came up from and... your trip on ayahuasca with Joe Rogan. You went back to you and said, "Hey, this is going to happen." And you went. <laughs> you went Dude, forward. I'm going to let what you happened? know if that, if that ever happens. But it's but it's really weird. Like it, mm-hmm. and it felt so real. And I woke up and I still feel like it. And I'm like I'm like. I don't think I'm actually gonna do Joe Rogan or do ayahuasca with Joe Rogan, but but I can see myself sitting across the table from him. And I don't know what it is about Joe Rogan. That's like everybody's goal one day. You know yeah. what I mean? That's no one's know, bigger. I definitely want to get there before he hangs up the microphone, you know? Yeah. And um but it's just yeah, there's something there's something about this world that we live in that connects our minds to the physical reality, you know? Mm-hmm um and i think almost all ancient text says so um yeah so i mean that's this is like the this is like the fringe that i never actually get in any of my videos but i love getting on these topics and podcasts this is, this is like yes, the place to do it it is man <clears throat> you could be as fringe as you want you know i don't want you to be uncomfortable with like within the academic circles and say something that you know might get you looked at sideways but yeah dude that's that's what this is for and what you're yeah. talking about I've said that to myself a few times before, not just with the podcast, but it's like, I like to say, you know, it's always a no, if you never try or you don't ask, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of one of the the things with manifesting or, or believing that you're going to, or wanting to do something is when you start imagining yourself doing it, you're going to start taking actions that are going to put you in that pathway and you're going to start meeting people and talking to people that are in those spaces and you're going to be intentional about it even when you don't realize you're being intentional about it and i think that it is a lot of stuff in life is just about what you think and how you think about it and um, my dad likes to say that there's uh uh the only disability is a bad attitude and I think I remember, you know, that the first time I heard it, and it took a long time to like kind of realize, I think what that means, but that you can keep yourself in that state where you don't change and you can keep yourself in that state where you don't become what you imagine yourself to be. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, what you're talking about is, is where I'd like to see myself some days having something where I can say, this is my life's work. And this is what I'm proud of. This is where, you know, obviously I have, you know, I have my, my children and my wife, you know, mm. those are a part of my life's work as well, but something that you can say that you contributed to the conversation overall in that way is, you know, that would be amazing. And that's cool, dude. I had no idea that you, you went on that, that podcast and cause I've listened to concrete for a while. I know he's like rebranded to like the Danny Jones yep. show or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, no, Randall, Randall, I've listened to all of those podcasts he's done with Joe Rogan uh, more than often than not alongside Graham Hancock, um, oh. which would also be a dream to talk to. Um, I think he's oh, pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, uh, golly, who's, a. Uh... I don't know. He's he's like Bruce Wayne. Like you can't not get a hold of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've never met Graham. I mm-hmm. probably will someday. Um, Hell yeah. I think I think the only people I've never I haven't run across that are like popular would probably be Jimmy and Graham. If you guys mm-hmm. watched uh, Jimmy Corsetti, if y'all know of him, mm-hmm. uh, I never met him. I was going to ask you about him. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, feel free. Well, yeah, that's basically my question. It was like, uh, well, it was going to lead up, but I was going to say, if you ever, did you know who Jimmy Corsetti was with Bright Insight? Because I, I follow him on YouTube and stuff. Do you know of yeah. him, Brandon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I started yes. watching, okay. I started watching Jimmy, 
maybe my senior year of high school. So mm-hmm. uh, he's been around for a little while now. I think yeah, maybe yeah. 2015 or 16. So yeah. golly, man, that's that's crazy. What's about seven years now? He's been putting out videos, mm-hmm. and wow. uh, <clears throat> it's flown by, bro. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, maybe, so I graduated from high school in 2016, which feels like mm-hmm. just, just yesterday. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and started watching, yeah, I did start watching his videos my senior year of high school, the last semester of high school. That's when, like, I realized that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, you know? And so, right. after, Damn it. Damn yeah, after, after football season of senior year, you start realizing, that didn't really take off for me. I'm not getting right. any calls from Bam. Nick from, Saban didn't from, call you. Yeah, Nick Saban never called me. So then I start thinking a little more realistically. And so probably about right then is where this this it's like the background of my life was always ancient history. My dad and I mm-hmm. watched ancient history movies together. You know, my my whole life it's either World War II or ancient history. Those are my two my two loves. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it's every and, guy. and something about guy. yeah. Mm-hmm. What's weird though is there's something about ancient history and World War II that go together. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Indiana Jones. You know, yeah, dude. Like Indiana Jones is pre World War II, so there's maybe. I mean, there it, are the Nazis in it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Raider, it kind of Raiders feels of like Art. maybe it's like culturally there's there's like a connection there that mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it. Um, or maybe ancient history through the lens of World War II is very attractive. There's something nice about the way that those two things feel together. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it. But those are my two loves of, of history. And mm-hmm. I get those from, you know, from spending time with my dad. And I've got, like, family history, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. um, I want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, uh, golly, dude. So my uh, on my dad's side, my dad's dad's dad mm-hmm. um, had a ranch in west texas um in a place called dryden texas and it was a it was this ranch called reagan canyon and so reagan canyon uh what 1600s maybe 1600s early 1700s before texas got its independence from uh from spain or from mexico Mm -hmm. um i guess that would have been i don't know my texas history that well um but so you know at the this is golly i'm i have so many things going on in my brain right now anyway you know I mean? so yeah. during the time that spanish was there my family was not in west texas on this ranch okay they were not okay. there yet so Understood. they they then moved to an area where in reagan canyon these uh legions of spanish military would come down through the canyon go through the Rio Grande River up into West Texas to New Mexico, Arizona, and San Antonio. Okay. So my great-grandfather, or maybe my great-great-grandfather on my dad's side, uh, and his four brothers, you can look it up. It's called, it's called, the, uh, it's called like the Lost Gold of the Four Reagan Brothers. Um, wow. <clears throat> and there's a, there's a title in there that's, that, you, that you can't say because all this stuff is written like, over a hundred years ago, so they use words that are not appropriate. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, so anyways, there's a young guy up there. I, I won't go, get into like the whole story because this goes on for forever. But mm-hmm. there's a young guy who's a half uh, African, half uh, Mexican boy who come who rides up on a donkey from uh, from Mexico, and he shows up at the at the Reagan Ranch in Dryden, Texas. 
So anyways, mm-hmm. they take they take him in and while he's out herding their goats, I think, he ends up finding a cache that comes from like lost Spanish gold or whatever. And wow. so they end up finding out about these other it's like it's like caches that were dug into the side of these cliff sides so bandits would stop the would stop the Spanish wagons, kill all the people, take the gold and drag it up into the mountains and then dig these caches where it's like volcanic rock. So you can dig into it and all falls down really easily. So Mm -hmm. they would, they would dig a hole in the mountainside, shove all these big wooden boxes full of, full of gold and guns and swords or whatever into the mountainside and then hit it with shovels and get all the uh, volcanic rock to fall over it. And they had plans to come get it later. Well, nobody knows how much they stole and how much was actually covered up and how much they didn't come back and get later and they never found. Well, some of it was found. Most of it wasn't. Uh, Some of it's on the Texas side of of the Rio Grande. Some of it's on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande. Anyways, that sends my family on a two-generation hunt for the lost Spanish gold of Reagan Canyon. Thus far, none of it has ever been found other than what we know was found, which is just a little bit. Well, anyways, um, at the same time, these guys in the Reagan side of the family end up making boatloads of money in the oil field, uh, oil and gold mining and silver mining and you know quartz mining, blah blah blah. So uh, this then leads down to my dad's dad, who goes off to uh, New Mexico. He's been growing up hearing about the you know the search for for ancient Spanish gold his whole life. And, uh, and, you know, he's a, he's a wealthy, um, son of like an oil tycoon. And so he takes his money and goes out to New Mexico where he, you know, he's like an explorer, treasure hunter type of guy. And, uh, he finds the seven lost Spanish gold mines of New Mexico. Uh, it's a, it's a legend that's connected to the seven cities of like the seven lost cities. And, uh, it's a similar legend, but he finds the seven lost Spanish gold mines. Turns out it wasn't seven; it was like thirty, and uh, and he mined these gold mines for eight years, made a ton of money, and then a smelter exploded and somebody died, and the mine was shut down in one day, and the partners that were working for my grandfather, uh, they they cut and ran on him and cut him out of the business, and oh, my shit. family my family like fell into immense poverty. And my dad was born in like the fallout of all that wealth. He he was accidentally born during all that. So my dad never experienced any of that. Well, um, so but I grew up like hearing that story. Then on my mom's side, my grandpa was a pastor um, who was big into the history of the Bible. So I got this taste for treasure hunting and exploring and a huge influence. I, I never knew my grandpa on my dad's side. I didn't know I didn't know any of those people. Um you know, my dad was born like accidentally and, and they were they were a lot older than normal people are. So I didn't know anybody on my dad's family, never met any of them, um, but her, always heard the stories. I have all the I have all like the treasure maps. I have it all written down. I've gone out and seen it for myself. Like it's like a secret location. It's crazy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I could talk about it, but I can't. One day I will. But like mm-hmm. there's still more to do. So I can't publicly speak about it. I was going to ask you what your plans with your family's history were. Like, are you going to try and like bring it up and and turn it into, you know, write a book about the story? 
I'd love to, I'd love to like buy the plot of land. The reason I I won't talk about it is because I don't want to dox the location. Um, Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the main reason I don't want to dox the location because I know people will go out there and start poking around and you know, that's like, that's like my, uh, that's my patrimony. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've I've got to go out there and see it for myself and you know maximize my experience there before i start talking about it but i wish i could talk about it because it's been a year since i found it and went out there mm-hmm. to it and uh haven't talked about it at all and yeah. um it's like a whole thing i could be making videos about and talking about but i just can't when um, you go public we'd love to have you on just to like for you to talk about it that'd be amazing yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know. I hope within the next year I can, or like a year from now, or like a year from now, I start getting public about it. I just need to, first off, I need a freaking Jeep because it, it, it is 20 miles. a Jeep. Yeah, it's Bronco. 20 miles. I should do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I was thinking of like a lot of these big podcasters. I would never exercise my uh, following like this, but mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking like how many people could just say, hey, I need a free Jeep. And then they would right. get it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Somebody would yeah. give them a Jeep. You know, yeah. somebody would go, uh, somebody would hurt themselves financially to give somebody like me right. a Jeep. You know, Dude, I would never. If they crowdfunded, what was it, like Super Troopers 2, I feel like oh, somebody yeah. will crowdfund you getting a Jeep. Yeah. I, I bet there's somebody out there that would buy me one. <laughs> Probably. But I'm not going to exercise. That's what we're manifesting right now, it. all of us together. I'm not going to do it. If you're listening right, right now, right. and you want to yeah. give Luke a Bronco, not a Jeep. Yeah, yeah, man, somebody, please. Uh, there's tons of people that have reached out and offered to to ride with me out there. Like they have a Jeep, they'll drive out there, I'll go with them. But I gotta yeah. like, vet, I gotta vet people. You know what I mean, dude? And... People's ulterior motives, man. Mm-hmm. You'll never know until it's like too late. I'll, I'll just just I know do it. you, man. Protect yeah. protect your heritage like that, and and. And do yeah. it for yourself, you know, and for your family. Yeah, dude, I, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't take anybody up on a ride out there. Dude, could you just show just somebody where it's rent at? A, you know? yeah, rent exactly. a Jeep off Turo. Off Turo? Yeah. I might have to look into that. Yeah, so Turo's, like, Turo's an app kind of like uh, uh, kind of like Airbnb where you can rent someone's house and like stay in it for like a night or two really? nights. Turo is the same thing but for cars. So you can just go on there and find a Jeep in that area and it's cheaper than an actual rental company. Hmm. Yeah. They'd have to be okay with me beating up the Jeep. Cause I mean, I it's, say, it, yeah. it's you 20 can tell miles. Them, hey, I'm taking this Jeep off road. <laughs> yeah. It, it's 20 miles as the crow flies in, into the desert. Okay. It, it took us two and a half hours in, the a, drone in a Ford F-150 to get there. So it was, Man. it was, uh, it was tough. Um, but anyways, so, you know, I grew up hearing these stories and, um, and you know, that of course, in, that along with you know hearing these stories of lost spanish gold which i'm not really into ancient spanish gold like in the south like southwestern united states history mm-hmm. you know with the you know the navajo uh, mogollon um apaches native americans in the southwest along with you know lost spanish cities and spanish gold that's a whole thing that people obsess over and they love but it never really hit me and may and it's kind of like creeping in i'm starting to get more interested in it but i've mm-hmm. always been interested in the ancient you know like the ancient world and uh central and south america um mm-hmm. and unfortunately for me it's much more expensive to get to those places um yeah. rather than the west which is like four hours west of me um right but so you know i grew up hearing about the lost spanish gold 
um, exploration that people on my dad's side of the family did. And then I was close and still am close to um, my mom's father, who is a pastor. And but he was interested. He's always interested, been interested in archaeology and the actual history of the biblical world. Those mm. two things put together, plus my dad and I bonded watching movies about history. The backdrop of my entire life, even when I thought I was going to be like a professional football player, you know, I'm only yeah. like five ten, so I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> um, so day. you know, um, <clears throat> so the backdrop of all of that, when I would, you know, I would go to school, I never really thought about ancient history while I was at school, but I would come home and I would think about it, you know, it, it would bond with everybody in my family talking about history. And then by about the senior year of high school, um, it started creeping in, you know, I started thinking about other things and, you know, thinking about like, well, how can I use my brain rather than my body for something in my life? And, uh, and so that slowly creeped in. And then right about the end of college, I was like, I think I'm going to pursue this full time. So then I went back to school, got my degree in anthropology. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like where I'm at now. Um, Dude. So yeah, it's just been a crazy journey. That, what an incredible history that you have. You know, I, I don't know my own personal like family history to that level, but you, it almost seems like you have this history in your, your family that almost predestines you to kind of be who you are, man. Like, and not to say that like you're stuck on a path or whatever, you know, but like you seem, it seems like that's your destiny, not to get all woo woo or weird mm -hmm. on you, but like that, that is like you have a history to, to share and to show. And it's, it's something that a lot of people find really interesting. And I think that, you know, you really are, you're kind of primed for something big with that. I feel like, well, I, 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 I want to get your hopes up a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's, um, you know, um, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. That, that means a lot hearing somebody say that it's, it's like a lot to hear though, you know? Yeah. Um, and I hope that you're right, but mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly crazy. You know, I, 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 I put like a lot of pressure on myself to live up to something like, uh, you know, another thing that's just like that is I had this like strong, um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel strange talking about myself, uh, mm -hmm. even though I'm on a podcast talking about myself, but, mm -hmm. um, I had this I strong, I had this strong sense as a kid, um, that I didn't want to do something normal. And when I was a kid, the only thing I ever prayed about, and I remember, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember at multiple points in my life, the only thing I ever prayed about was I'd pray and I'd say, I'd say, God, please make my life like a movie. Because I, I felt, I felt some kind of purpose. And I guess it could be self-fulfilling destiny or self-fulfilling prophecy. But mm -hmm. I had that feeling as a kid that I needed to do something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting, like, I, you know, I'll read, uh, I'm not comparing myself to these guys, you know, I'm never going to kill thousands of people and conquer the, uh, the whole ancient world. But I read about <laughs> not yet. Yeah. But I but, you know, I read about guys like Marcus Aurelius and Julius mm -hmm. Caesar, which I mean, you know, granted, these guys were, were probably a little messed up in their mind. But, uh, you know, like, when Julius Caesar desperately wanted to be anything in his life and he had done nothing by 39 years old other than mm -hmm. like pour around and sleep with all these women and you know he didn't do anything and he's he's standing there and he's standing there like 
uh, he's brought to tears looking at a statue of, of Alexander the Great. Alexander. He's like, like, I haven't done anything. And this guy was mm-hmm. 32 when he died. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then over the next five years, he just conquers the whole ancient world. And then he gets stabbed to death and dies. But, you know. Um, or you Or even Percy Fawcett, like we were talking about, man. Mm-hmm. He had like a very restless blood. Like he needed mm-hmm. to do something in his life. And he longed to get back into the jungle. He needed to do something significant, to be a part of something that was bigger than himself and lead, leave some kind of lasting impression, even if it meant that he was going to die doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't Is know. Is that how you feel? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It, like, I don't know. Like, my wife and I talk about it sometimes. Like, um, she'll tell... I don't know. I'm being, like, super transparent here. Like, really <laughs> transparent. We're but, you it. know, I, I talk to her about it all the time. I was like, you know, I, I definitely want to to mark the the biggest thing at the top of my checklist of personal mm-hmm. achievements is to find a city that no one's ever seen before or at least like Dude. like an extensive an extensive set of ruins that no one's ever seen i have a i have a mm-hmm. the reason i clarify that is because i know where one is i know nobody else has been there and i want to be the first person to go document it i know exactly Dude. where it is I want to um, go. <clears throat> and funny. so <laughs> Where did it's, uh, go? it's a place called it's a place called yashilan people can look it mm-hmm. up i mean uh nobody else is going to go other than me other people know it's there but no one's ever documented it nobody's mm-hmm. crazy enough to do it for free so other than me but yeah. um my wife and i'll talk about it and uh and it's it's interesting well i don't know it's it's just weird because i i don't have like a fear of dying and i almost think if i were to go if I were to go out anyway, you know, if I were out in the jungle and something happened to me and I died and nobody ever heard from me and I never came back, um, you become kind of immortalized in a way. Everybody's going to remember like, damn, like that. Yeah. <laughs> that guy went out yeah. there to go find something that meant something to the world. You know, like mm-hmm. when you go find a, ci- a city that people lived in, it shows the whole world like there's more here than just us. There's there's yeah. something more important that connects all of us. And this mm-hmm. is a forgotten part of our history that somebody's going to reclaim to you know i guess contribute to the world of science and exploration and just what we know of the world and it's something that's like bigger than yourself and uh i have some kind of like do what the history you're talking about the history of all of us so it is just bigger than one of us you know yeah and um i don't know i feel some kind of i feel some kind of urge i'm gonna do it safely i probably won't die i mean we live in a we live in like a, a world nowadays where we have starlink so you right. know, if something happens to me, I can I can call. Now, if I come across like a looter and then I get shot in the head, that's a whole other thing. Um, that's why you need a whip. security detail. Yeah, there's you a need a whip and a six shooter. You'd be yeah. good to go. Yeah, I know it. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, and a lot of luck too. Yeah. Um, but and I need to learn to speak like twenty five different languages, like he does. You know, yeah. um, dude, you have a rich destiny, man. I like just listening to you, dude. I. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Like you want to call it ethereal, metaphysical, whatever. But like that's kind of that's it's more than just the vibe I get from you. You're not projecting a vibe, right? To where you're trying to be disingenuous. That's mm-hmm. this is you, right? I get that mm-hmm. from you, the way you talk, and I can see like you're 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 building a life to essentially have the foundation to go and do that. And yeah. you know, I really really hope that you get to fulfill those dreams. I think you will because it's just to me like it's coming off of you. We're not even in the same room. Well, thank you. 
yeah that, that means a lot that's like uh that's like overwhelming to hear it's 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 um i don't know man it's it's weird like you you aspire to be somebody and then mm-hmm. when other people can see it come from you because i wasn't always like exactly the way i am right now i don't know how to explain it but you know when other people can see it then it's like overwhelming because it's like whoa it's real now you know what i mean like you spend so you you have this idea at some point a light bulb goes off in your head and i always tell people like 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 the worst advice that i think people can give is when they say be yourself it's like no 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 no. Mm -hmm. ignore that advice be be the person that you want to be you know Mm -hmm. like the the person that i see myself as that's what i'm going for every day i'm not that person but i'm trying job you want yeah yeah exactly and so you pretend that it's real for so long and then it becomes real you know Mm -hmm. and uh you know that's not to like say that i'm like fabricated but you know you have Mm -hmm. like this uh i mean look at all like the roman and greek philosophers they talk about how like the biggest battle is internal like your Mm -hmm. biggest enemy is inside of your body you know it's it's like this force that's working against you at all times and you're talking about marcus aurelius that's like a a, a root tenet of stoicism is fighting that inner inner battle within and yeah yeah overcoming Mm. those self-limitations yeah yeah there's there's um i've never like i've never actually full like said this out loud but Mm -hmm. yeah there's someone inside me that is constantly trying to hold me back i don't know how to explain it like if i go if i go a week without mm-hmm. uploading a video everybody just know that the inner evil me is winning you know what i mean there's something like holding me back making me like you should look up imposter syndrome <clears throat> imposter syndrome yeah yeah well mm-hmm. yeah I, I i definitely feel that sometimes yeah. um <clears throat> but yeah there's some kind of like inner evil me inside of me that like holds me back and makes me think like this isn't possible you can't mm-hmm. do this you shouldn't continue you know blah 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 um it's so weird man uh it's it's weird how your 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 body can your mind can do that to itself you know dude it's Uh, like something it's maybe it's like something spiritual that realizes and recognizes your destiny trajectory and is trying to stop you from getting there and that's part of your hero arc is overcoming (laughs) that maybe so it could also also be like a safety net too right it's where it's like Everything you're trying to accomplish is the unknown and everything you know now is still relatively safe. So when you're trying to escape that, you're subconsciously like, no, everything's fine where we're at. We don't need to leave this. We don't need to move forward. Like stop Mm. doing that. Yeah. It's like kind of protection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That belief though, whatever you like, you know, fake it till you make it or whatever is definitely like true. When I first started Mm. recruiting, like I was like, man, this is really difficult. And I just started telling everyone I was the world's greatest recruiter. I just started saying <laughs> that to everyone. He literally answers the phone like that, swear to God. Yeah, I do. That's really? how he answers the yeah. phone, yes. I would just say it, and I would do it. And then next thing you know, I was like exceeding goal, putting like a ton mm-hmm. of people in, winning awards, all this type of stuff. And I would continue to joke about it. My my old flight chief, she would call me up and be like, how's the world's greatest recruiter doing? I was like, great, because I'm the world's greatest recruiter, and we're just going to keep yeah, pressing. Yeah. And it just became my <laughs> thing. And now I have a... I have a title belt in my office that says world's greatest recruiter on it. That was awarded to me by someone who just thought that was actually real it's because I that's just kept cool. doing it over years. So it's the same concept. Yeah, that's really cool. This is a uh, last topic I'll, I'll touch on before I stop boring you guys. Um, 
I yeah, we gotta talk so, about Atlantis. Well, yeah, that's oh, my yeah, next yeah, question. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, then we shouldn't go off on this other rabbit hole because this doesn't have anything to do with ancient history. Let's go to Atlantis. Okay, you sure? So, well, oh, I was just gonna say um, when you were talking about when you were talking about recruiters, I'll just it, pivot. It, yeah. it brought me. It yeah, brought me. We'll to, it brought me to what I was um, talking to you guys about originally. Uh, about how I was fascinated with the Air Force. That I um, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I I inquired with the Air Force um, my junior and senior year of um, mm-hmm. high school. I almost enlisted. Um, mm-hmm. I was I had gone down to the office and spoken with people. My parents don't even know this. So if my parents are watching this, <laughs> they're gonna be like, "What?" Sorry, um, mom. <laughs> but they knew I was interested in the Air Force. But they were mm-hmm. like, they were like, "Go to college first. Like, if you mm-hmm. go to the Air Force, just go to college first because if you don't." you probably won't go later because your life will start moving and you won't have time to go back. You know, that's pretty that's really good advice. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> never ended up going. Um, but I had, and you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe this guy was like BSing me or whatever. Um, but I did decently, I did pretty good on my ASVAB and I was mm-hmm. looking at, um, I was looking at going into, uh, uh, Southie. Have you ever guys heard, have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah, we know oh, yeah. that is. We actually we we literally a couple of weeks ago had a had a guest on Trent Siegmiller, um, who their career field is not called South T anymore. It's called Special nope. Reconnaissance. Yeah, oh, but uh, yeah. He, he's he's Special Reconnaissance Operator. Yeah, yeah. That's that is that was like my dream, dude. I watched all. I didn't care about Hell Week. I didn't care about all the other documentaries. I watched the South T documentaries because so I want to be a combat weatherman. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, that's what I wanted if to do. You, I wanted to like. If you came into my office, into the world's greatest recruiter's office, I would have uh, had you in. There would have been no. Well, I've seen the thing is too. Now, man, like you, you have your degree. Like if if you wanted to, right? Yeah. You could still you could still do that. You could be a special tactics officer. Oh, that's what you would be. No, I'm I, I probably would never do that. But this is also know, about a partnership with the Air Force. You don't have to do active <laughs> yeah. duty yeah. Uh, either. Yeah, you yeah. can also do guard, do part time, be a part time badass. Yeah, yeah we my, know. Dad, we... my dad was in guard. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um. But yeah, I wanted to go into uh, what was that special operations weather team or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I just loved the idea of recon. You know, I don't know how much those guys actually see see combat, but I thought they do such cool stuff. You know, they're specially trained. But what they do is that, at least from what I remember, is they're like a support unit for for other, you know, special teams that are out there, you know. And I just thought I just thought something about that is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I always thought recon was cool, you know. I guess that mm-hmm. kind of ties into like the exploration side of things. Like when you go explore an area, you do recon, you know. Well, here Send let me send out blah 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 whatever. Let me let me put it in perspective for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote Trent because he's on another. He has his own podcast. Okay. Oh really? It's him. Yes. It him, uh, Aaron Love, and then Jared Petrus. Their podcast is called One's Ready. So okay. Trent is special reconnaissance. Aaron is a pararescue man, and then Jared is combat controller. Right. And so listening to them one day, um, they're kind of they always talk about this. Like, what is the ideal candidate that we're looking for? And what he said, I'll never forget. He said. For SR, he's like, I'm looking for the nerd that won't quit, is what he mm-hmm. said. So what you're talking about using all this technology, you know, for recon or whatever else they do, you know, like that's exactly what it is. You're they're looking for the nerd that won't quit because yeah. you're going to be doing a bunch of really high tech stuff on top of 
bunch of shit that requires you to sweat your ass off and work your ass off, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, man, you seem like you might have the personality for it. And uh, if they got you <laughs> yeah. on the podcast, maybe they, they, they'd uh, jump your bones and <clears throat> inspire you to do it. I don't well, know. <laughs> I, I've told, I've told my wife, I've, I've told her like, uh, I have this like vague, um, I don't think this will actually happen, but I have this like vague plan B that like, if, if, if it doesn't, if what I'm wanting to do doesn't work out, I'll go to the military. You know, I'll, I'll, I would love, I would literally love to have uh God, I've never said this to anybody. I would love to be in the air Forget force. All the never says. Yeah. Yeah. Be in the air force. I, I, yeah. I would love to be in the air mm-hmm. force and have like a recon job of some kind. I have, li- I don't care what it is. I want to look at maps. I want to send drones out over landscape and look down at the ground. Like I'm obsessed with maps. I'm an expert on Google earth. Like I can go to like any, any country, any city, whatever. You know, I'm just going to pull this clip in the episode and just send it to Trent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I, I've always thought that recon for the Air Force specifically, that's like my mm-hmm. branch. I love the Air Force. Um, I'm putting your email into I the Air Force recruiting cool. system. I'm just doing it. It's <laughs> a bunch of phone calls now. Email from the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. you know? but, uh, but yeah, that's like uh, probably once or twice a year, I go down the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. watching Air Force boot camp and mm-hmm. just like, I have like the fantasy of like, man, what if I was there right now? You know, it looks so much. Uh, you live look- really close. Oh, I know it's right it, man. there. I it's live. The gateway to the just go, just go. Nah, <laughs> just Good knock go. on the gate. You see, yeah. you see, I wouldn't have the time to make the videos. Okay, and then when True. I did get the videos, I'd be bald. So you know, you like like how how far along do you have to be? before I can have like any more scruff or have my hair as long as it is. You know what I mean? Uh, so out. You, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah out. That's well, what I'm... Like you, if you got like a shaving waiver, you could grow, it certainly couldn't look like this. It would look mm-hmm. a lot like you right now, mm-hmm. you know, um, your hair for all intents and purposes right now is definitely out of regulation. Yeah. Um, it but just you could, if you just up trimmed on the it, sides. yeah, like you see, yeah. let's see mine, like, you know, mm-hmm. the way it is, you could have all this on top, the bulk yeah. we call it. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, dude. Yes, this is totally okay. Like, I have a hard part. And it doesn't like, have to be like a high and tight or like shaved Mm-mm. like you see in BMT or, or no, like that's me. just that's a basic <laughs> training thing. Like, you get out of basic yeah. training, you go to something called tech school, and at tech school, you don't have to have that hair like that. You can grow, you can have a haircut and grow your hair on top. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little yeah. bit. And tech school standards are still more strict than once you get to what we call operational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have. I have heard of kids getting shaving waivers at tech school, but it's a lot harder to get them at tech school than it is once you become operational. Um, But like, you know, you, like I said, if you trimmed up the sides and, you know, and with the hair on top, like you could have that haircut in, in the air force (laughs) minus the, minus the sides. Yeah. And if you go, if you go special recon, which is, which is what South T is now, you'll have a beard more than likely. Cause, yeah, and they don't oh, give really? a shit about haircuts half the time anyway. Yeah, so. no, you'd be in places where the, you can't get a haircut, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's but. true. That's why all the Navy SEALs have like long hair and long beards and everything. Is that right? Yep. yep. Yeah, they got to blanish their environment. Exactly. Yeah, I get. I definitely get that. And if we well, want to do a throwback to the dude with the <clears throat> turban and the beard, that's what they got over there. That's, that's where the current that's very true. exactly. That's where the fighting that's, is currently. So got to fit in. That's where the fighting's so, always been. Yeah, forever. Yeah, where we'll always literally since the beginning of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a crazy place. But anyways, yeah. Let's. I love to get to Atlantis. So cool. No topics you guys have. What do you know about the rickshot structure? 
<clears throat> well, um, I actually just I actually just wrote a video about this. Uh, it's called uh, the video is called Anthropologist Explains the Rishot Structure. Um, okay. So this will come Perfect. out. I don't know. I wrote this two days ago, or We're no? I wrote this on. I wrote this on yeah, I wrote it on Friday, I think. Okay. Basically, uh, paleoarchaeologists, paleogeologists, whatever, or maybe just geologists, mm -hmm. they, look at, they, they look <laughs> at the site and they see it as, they look at the site and they see it as, um, you know, it's a natural structure that I think is called, I think it's caused by, uh, uh, it's like magmatic rock moving underneath the surface that creates this crazy looking circle into the ground. I don't mm. know. It's a loose explanation because this is really an anomaly. This is the only thing mm -hmm. like this on, on the earth. Um, <clears throat> now, paleoarchaeologists have gone out there and they have found, um, they have found artifacts that date back to golly. It's like, just to confirm, we're talking about the eye of Sahara, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I'll pull it up. Yeah. So, uh, they have gone. They've gone in. I want to. I want to tell you this, right? I. I'll let me look at my uh, script that I wrote for myself. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, let's see. Okay, yeah. So, Rishi. Got a sneak peek of his episode. Yeah. So basically, um, it says uh, according to paleoarchaeologists, the Rishot structure is uh, an entirely or uh, majority natural uh, structure, either coming from a meteoric impact. Uh, mm -hmm. or a deep magmatic intrusion, which is, uh, it's like, I believe that's magmatic rock or magma under the ground that's not mm -hmm. quite coming up to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> okay, so it says, paleoarchaeological -archeo evidence seems to indicate the presence of people as far back as 1. million, or I'm sorry, 1.7 million years ago during the pre-Ecluian uh, mm -hmm. uh, period. Um, and so it says, artifacts of this period are typically pear-shaped hand axes thought to have been created mm. and used by Homo erectus, which is like a kind of a cousin to precursor of the Homo sapien, mm -hmm. and um, which, you know, that's what we are. Um, <clears throat> and then, so I think I go on to also write that um, there's more recent evidence of habitation is very scarce. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the problem, though. Here's, this is the silver lining that, that, I, give this, that I give this site. Um, like, like on, on a, on a flat, just flat out. If we look at the younger Dryas from the lens of Atlantis, okay. Mm -hmm. It does match some of the description that Plato says that Solon, Solon visited, uh, the temple of Hatshepsut, I think mm -hmm. in Egypt, I think it's the temple of Hatshepsut or Hathor. Maybe it's the temple of Hathor. There's a bunch okay. of H's in, in, in ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. Um, and he he visits these Egyptian priests, and they basically tell him uh, about an ancient civilization that was the precursor to to Egypt that existed nine thousand years before and was destroyed by a great flood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a city. They describe the city. It had, I believe, mountains to the north with with a, with a gate to uh, water, I guess, to the west side. And if you right. look at it, so that that kind of this isn't this isn't uh this photo isn't directly north to south you're kind of looking to the yeah, west right nor now. north is this way <clears throat> yeah south is this way this is west this is east so you're looking to the west right now um and the geographic features 
I think majority at the Rishot structure does line up with what Plato says that Solon said about Atlantis, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What Solon said that the uh, Egyptian priest told him about Atlantis. Um, the The difficult part here to reconcile is that there's just flat out no evidence. There's just not, mm. there's no structures. Um, what is weird is that they did a LIDAR scan of the area maybe two or three years ago. And okay. um, <clears throat> it was like this real snotty lady who did a, um, I shouldn't say that. No, uh, dude, you're good. So, <laughs> it's um, okay. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's this lady who. Um, she was super nice. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, I can't go into more details because, you know, whatever. But um, so she leads this expedition or whatever to um, examine the Rishot structure and mm -hmm. she runs LIDAR over it. And okay. she basically is going out there to prove that Atlantis was not at the Rishot structure, right? Mm -hmm. And then she does LIDAR scan to prove it and she makes a whole documentary about it and the LIDAR scans weren't included in the documentary. They did not show oh. what the LIDAR scans found, which is really strange. But, of course, you know, That's it's suspicious. like a, Yeah, yeah, but, but the, the, the documentary doesn't make... It didn't make any waves, like, in pop culture, so nobody really spoke about the fact that, like, hey, lady, you would actually show the the lidar scans that you took out there um how expensive is it to go do something like that lidar scans like is that something that like really expensive really yeah, yeah. yeah it's not like a you know like they're coming out with lidar drones now mm -hmm. but a lidar drone might be able to scan the area of a house and a yard like a couple acres or something like that uh, a lidar drone might be able to do that but it has to sit above the area and constantly send waves up and down and up and down. And it's a small, tiny little area. You know, mm -hmm. if you're wanting to fly over the Rishot structure, which I forget how big it is, but I know it's massive. What is it, like one mile long or, or a mile and a half long? It is or pretty is it, big. I'll look or is it, it like 10 miles long? I don't know. It's it's crazy how big it is. I think it might be closer to 10 miles long. Um, <clears throat> I'm not an expert on the Rishot, but... Just for um, reference, Luke, this Plato writes about what Solon told him. Is this in, in the Aeneid? He's uh talking about Atlantis? Oh, oh uh it might it might be i don't, I don't know it's, the okay. exact it's I don't 25 know the, miles across whoa Dang, 25 miles yeah, yeah so that's so so you gotta that's... think when you think about it when you think about an ancient city they're not driving cars right yeah those freaking huge for an ancient city you know what i mean yeah. uh the capital of rome had a million people in it and it wasn't mm -hmm. close to being that big because everybody's walking you know yeah yeah so, but isn't the idea of like okay. if you look at this photo here i have up is that it's like there's a lot of water for atlantis like that mm -hmm. would be in there so, so they're traveling by boat or whatever it doesn't necessarily have to all That's be true. like city it could have been rings of cities kind of like what they're comparing here yeah. on the screen but still That's think true. of the look i mean if, if this is obviously this is just an, a rendering but consider yeah. the architectural uh expertise that would have to go into this mm -hmm. you know what i mean did you is this it like a floating city like in mesoamerica right because wasn't tenochtitlan like partly a floating mm -hmm. city luke uh or is that like a misnomer uh it's kind of what they say but but really no they just okay well i mean I guess it depends on what you call a floating city, but sure. you know, they could, they were able to raise the ground level that, so that it was above water. Like, you know, you come okay. in and you build like a mound 
and so that it comes above water like that was really common in in the amazon for sure that might be where it came or it might be where it comes from is the amazon they would they would raise the ground level to be above like the water table or when it would mm -hmm. flood to be above where it would flood Makes so snowshoe is kind of like that okay so but, but getting back to it there's a lot of uh there's a lot of interesting similarities between the wrist shot and there's also artifacts in egypt that do depict egypt uh with uh like, have you seen those those ostrich eggs that that seem to show something that's similar to the Rishot structure or Atlantis? Yeah, you guys should look at. So. There's like, I think okay. there's ostrich eggs, these yeah, giant I've seen bird those. eggs that people they depict the Nile. They depict like a reservoir that comes off of the Nile or like a little lake. They depict the pyramids and they depict what seems to be the Rishot structure, which is really huh. strange. Um, but there's just no hard evidence for it yet. But like I say, the LiDAR scans that were taken don't reveal anything. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, they didn't reveal anything. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, if there was some kind of cataclysmic event, so say in the North Atlantic, there's a comet that hits the Earth at the end of the Younger Dryas, and it, it basically mm -hmm. ends the Ice Age, right? Well, you know, if if you look at the Western Sahara, it looks like, it looks like water was rushed up onto the side of the coast and it was, it's like dragging the geology back down. You can see mm. that kind of dragging of water and not to mention it's all completely covered in salt. So mm -hmm. it could be, you know, salt from 12,000 years ago being spewed up onto the side of Africa and washed back down. Well, if something was so devastating that it completely removed the cultural, yeah, isn't that interesting? So if you look at the top of that, around the little hole in the egg. And I guess maybe that's like a hole somebody poked to empty out the yolk. I have no idea. But, mm -hmm. um, okay, so it's a Nubian egg. Yeah, Nubian egg. That's interesting. So, <clears throat> um, but yeah, if, if a cataclysm removed the entire cultural layer, then I don't know. You know, if something is so devastating that it removes the entire cultural layer, then maybe there is no evidence. But then what you have to do as an anthropologist, because a lot of people who are just like enthusiasts, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, it could have, it could have just removed that whole layer. Well, okay, let's, let's accept that. Mm -hmm. Let's go look at places where there's more or just as much evidence of the devastation. Because if you look around the eye of the Sahara, even in the photo that Zach was just showing, mm -hmm. you can see that like, it's like the sand being pulled back down to uh, the west coast of Africa. Well, let's go look at ancient sites that are in that area and let's find and see if anything goes back to the early pre-Stone Age Pale or Neolithic era of 9,000 something BC. And let's mm -hmm. see in that same cultural layer if we find uh, if we can find organic material from people that were living around at that same time, can we find things that are near that are nearby? And if we find a whole plethora of it, what do we infer from that? Then does it make it more or less likely that a whole city could have been washed away? So that's the really that's the tough part about the Rishot structure itself. However, about Atlantis, about Atlantis, well, I mean, look at all the stories of ancient cities that we have, like uh, like Zeptepi. Um, that comes from ancient Egypt, Atlantis that comes from Solon and Plato, uh, Aslan, which comes from the Aztecs. Have you, do you know about this? 
<clears throat> feel like and, I've heard this before. Yeah, yeah. So the Aztecs have like an have a city that they say that they originate from, which is called Aztlan. Um, okay. So, so this so, here. So uh, I brought this up because apparently uh, they think that this dotted line here was like an ancient river that used to go across like the entire oh, Sahara wow. Desert because the, the Sahara has a lot of evidence that it used to be very tropical. That it was mm -hmm. like covered in like trees. It wasn't a desert. Yeah, of course. Um, way back then, so it's just like this really wet area. Um, but this would line up kind of like right where the the eye of the Sahara is. So there's like yeah. a river here, and that there... is supposed to connect like where mm -hmm. Egypt was, where the Nile, and then where the Sahara, where uh, Atlantis would have been. Yeah, there there are even maps that show these east west running rivers through Africa. Have you guys ever yep. seen videos on this? I have. I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there there are maps that show that. And I don't know that the, the maps that are shown today that we have evidence of today, I don't know that that's the actual map, or I don't know that the person who drew that map is the person that went in and explored that river, but it could just be local knowledge. Like people, they piece it all together. You know, the person who makes the map didn't visit every single site in place that was on that map. It's pieced together from source maps and also just from tales. Like people go... Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a giant river that runs from this city to this city. I know that. Oh, how do you know that? Oh, well, my my grandfather knew that. Oh, well, how did he know that? Well, his his dad knew that. You know what I mean? So now, and so, you, now you got me thinking about the Piri together. Reese map. <clears throat> yeah, 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 exactly. So Piri Reese map is is interesting. I don't quite know what to think of it because uh, I think a large chunk of it is missing, right? Um, there is, yeah, but it, it depicts Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah, it depicts Antarctica in a, at a time when it wasn't like glacially covered. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of an interesting thing. But then a lot of people also make compelling cases that it's also just depicting South America. But it's like the paper mm. is like the paper curves down, so it's not a perfect piece of paper for a map. Mm -hmm. Or if it even is a piece of paper, am I wrong in saying it's written on like on like uh, skin or something? I'm not exactly sure, but. Um, but they're also missing parts of the map. So the Piri Reese map is, uh, is very interesting. And it also seems to depict like inland in South America. Have y'all ever seen, mm -hmm. have y'all ever seen that? Like it's showing de depictions of people and mountain ranges that are a little further inland. If you're mm -hmm. pulling it up right now. Oh, okay. Here's a wrist shot. So yeah, what, totally is, what are all those dots? So, so these all dots, um, are apparently like, uh, ancient remains or like human type structures or stuff that they found that were left mm. by humans inside the structure. Oh. So these are all the locations of where things have been found left by ancient humans. And yeah, some of them, some of them could be as small as small as like a bowl. Some could be like um, actual human remains, apparently. Um, and then other ones are like a tower. So like down here, it's kind of hard to see, but apparently down here is like a burial, a burial field. So there's yeah. like a bunch of bodies here. Um, this thing here, I guess, was a tower. Uh, these were like man-made mounds that are connected to the actual structure itself. So there are a lot of human elements in this thing. You know, I could get you guys in touch with uh, with somebody who's actually been there. Okay, I bet you he'd come oh, up on your, uh, he'd come up on your podcast. Have you have you ever heard of uh, his his middle name's either Stig or Stag, but David Stag Hansen? 
You ever heard of him? The name sounds familiar. I haven't, no. Yeah, I think he's trying to, I think he's he's attempting to like break you into this down. world of these ancient civs guys, mm-hmm. kind of like me, I guess. Um, yeah. And he has been out to the Rishot structure twice. And uh, I can get you guys in touch with him. And, and uh, I bet That'd you can be on your pod and talk to you. Thank you. Talk to you. He has tons of videos of him out there. Uh, check out his YouTube channel, David Stag Hansen or Stig Hansen. Um, okay. Super cool guy. He's he wanted me to come out to the Rishout with him in January, but I just didn't have the mm-hmm. money to do it because it's freaking yeah. expensive. But and I was a little scared of going out to Mauritania, Africa. But he says it's it's awesome out there. And I'm also kind of at the point now where I'm like, dude, you know, oh well, dude. you know, yeah. You actually have a Duty friend calls. that just went not that long ago to Mauritania, and uh, he he's got a lot of really cool videos. He said the 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 people there are amazing, super fun. Yeah, and um, like they're teaching him how to make like coffee the traditional way that they're oh, making really? it. And, yeah, it looked it looked really cool. I actually what, correct myself real quick. I don't know. I would need to look it up. I I thought mm-hmm. weren't are they a francophone originally or not? Well, not originally, but you know what I mean. Um. I just need to correct myself. So Virgil wrote the Aeneid. It wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been Plato. So I just need to say that. Cause I oh, asked okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're okay. I, I don't, yeah. I really don't know. Um, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm really well versed in some areas of ancient Greece, but like some people can rattle it all off and it's never been yeah. my thing. Yeah. So where do you think the mm-hmm. best evidence exists for Atlantis? Is it the, mm-hmm. in your opinion, is it the Rishat structure? There are other things. Cause no. it doesn't, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't. Man, it's tough. I probably have a completely different view than anybody else does about Let's hear Atlantis. It. Um, <clears throat> you know, I haven't, I haven't di- dived into the Azores very much. It's, mm. you know, I, I know Randall talks about it. Randall's a freaking genius guy. Randall. Yeah. You know, so if I were to dive into, I think he has like a ten-hour lecture on on uh why the azores is like the most likely place for atlantis mm-hmm. um i haven't watched all of that uh lecture series i just have like i said so many other things that are like pertinent that i need to study right now mm-hmm. um but what makes the most sense to me is that perhaps yeah there was some there's i mean i definitely think atlantis or zeptepi this this mother culture older civilization I think to some extent, these stories are definitely true. I mean, there's just I no agree. doubt in my mind that it's true. You know, it, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have said it if, if it was completely made up. And a lot of these things aren't made up. Like they thought forever that Troy wasn't real. They thought that right. Trojan horse just was a made up Greek story. No, mm-hmm. it was real. You know, that, yeah. that they found it. But what, but what did they end up finding out about Troy? It was way smaller than, than the story. I think it's the, the Iliad or mm-hmm. something like that. I think uh, you're right. I think it is the Iliad. Homer's, is it Homer's Iliad or Homer's Odyssey or something like sure, that? Yeah, Homer, yeah. <clears throat> Let's not screw it up. I appreciate it is the Iliad. And I'm gonna, I think he, up. yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. We'll send. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, going live, like, at 10 p.m. is the best time to talk about ancient history. You know, For sure, it, yeah, yeah. Get all the minor details wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but no, I mean, it's, you know, Oh well, if I I'll have people jump down my throat about stuff, and I'm like I'm like, dude, if you had if you were studying history as much as I as much as I am, you would get so much crap wrong because mm-hmm. you know people when they're not dive 
not like they don't dive all the way into it. They know about a few things and it's easy to remember a few things, but mm -hmm. you get so far deep in it. It's easy. It's actually easy to get confused, you know, cause I there's always, so much more beneath the surface. Than I always think. think it's so funny how like, uh, someone can like take some little small thing you got wrong and that makes it so everything you said is now wrong. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. it was just a human error. You can yeah, overlook yeah, yeah. it. I always tell people like that, dude, if I'm wrong, then do better. Yeah. yeah. But they don't. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so anyways, um, but they ended up finding out that Troy did exist, but it was just way smaller than legend built it up to be. Right. And so here's my view on Atlantis. Mm hmm. <clears throat> hyper-realistic answer. It definitely existed, but they created earthen structures um, mm -hmm. that are kind of like mounds that we see in North America. Mm -hmm. uh, and they created those during a time, um, during the African humid period, which was when, which is during the green Sahara. It wasn't just the Sahara. It was all of the Middle East was green as well. Mm -hmm. So they created earthen structures and also wooden structures, but they were an organized civilization um, that left something memorable that somebody was remembering thousands, potentially actually 9,000 years later, like the priests at, you know, the temple, the, the Egyptian priests at the temple tell Solon, who Solon tells Plato, whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> potentially, it's just something like that. It's just this legend that's built up into something, and maybe it really was a circular city, but really they're just mounds that people are living mm. on. And maybe it is surrounded by water, but maybe all the structures are made out of wood, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no evidence of it anymore. I don't know. Or all these really strange uh, structures that you see in ancient Egypt. Uh, I would say Egypt is a good, is, is like one of the best places to look. It's just some really strange stuff going on in Egypt or ancient Peru. Those mm -hmm. are like the two places. I really don't look that much at the Rishat or the Azores. There's been tons of people who travel to the Azores and there's just, almost, there's just nothing that shows up about a culture going back that far. Uh, it's yeah. the same with the wrist shot. The wrist shot is freaking bizarre to look at it. And it visually, it just matches the description, but there's just zero evidence thus far. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so because of that, I don't really look at the wrist shot. I think it's fascinating. And, and uh, you know, I had my time where I was certainly reading about the wrist shot every day, uh, mm -hmm. but not really anymore. Well, some of the things that I would look at are look at the, look at the very, visually simplistic but not so simplistic it's like deceivingly simplistic um uh structures or you know architecture construction projects that use these massive megalithic stones that carve them uh in ways that are extremely strange i'll explain that in a second um and there's also no hieroglyphs no art mm -hmm. no nothing no writing of who built it you know um the Osirion is a good uh, is a good example of that. I think like the Osiris shaft. Um, what's the uh, the Serapium? Mm -hmm. um, I, I really think that the Sphinx is very strange as well. You know the the weathering in the bed, like the bed of the Sphinx or the pit of the Sphinx. Everybody knows the story. It's it's just it's so unambiguously water erosion. Mm -hmm. And here's something that m most people don't realize is so, you know, they, they, when people study like the, I guess like when normal Egyptologists or, or geologists, when they 
right off well you know it it's probably is wind and sand erosion or if it's water erosion it's just been from light rains over the last 4500 years and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the problem is you know so they say the sphinx was built in about 25 2550 bc is when they say okay. it was built so then okay. they say well it's been 4500 years maybe it can weather maybe it can weather that much no it hasn't been that long mm-hmm. actually if it was built around 2500 BC, at about 1400 BC, around the time of the Pharaoh Akhenaten, somebody mm-hmm. went there and placed the dream stela. Do you know what that is? It's the big stela that sits between the paws. Mm-hmm. That was placed there in about 1400 BC. And they had been trying to repair the Sphinx and repair it and repair it. But it was just, it's so old and it's deteriorating so quickly that they decide to go in. There's a pharaoh who decided to go in and they buried it around 1400 BC. So according to traditional Egyptology, it was only exposed for 1100 years. And it has mm-hmm. that kind of erosional, you know, showing or, or pattern. Yeah. That's really unlikely. So the Sphinx, in my opinion, I say this on the Concrete Podcast, I think the Sphinx is a better example of this lost civilization of some kind than even the pyramids are. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's some... There's one really, uh, if it's proven, and there's an expedition that went there this last week, so I'm looking forward to getting with them. Um, have you ever have you ever heard of? Uh, have you ever seen the YouTube channel Ancient Architects? Have y'all seen him, or or um, History for Granite? Have you ever seen him? I feel like I've seen Ancient Architects before. Um, yeah. Is this Robert Shock that you're talking about? No, no, not Robert Shock. Uh, it's, okay. uh, it's Matt Sibson. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. So Robert Chuck, he's he's the uh, he's the geologist at um, Boston University. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they went there and they went inside the Bent Pyramid, and there are cedars of Lebanon that were used in the construction of the ceiling of the Bent Pyramid. And so, like the way we open up the Concrete Podcast is is I had told Danny I was like I was like yeah I don't know man the 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 Egyptians may have really built the pyramids and he's like what no way and i was like mm-hmm. i was like yeah well one huge glaring problem with that is so the story behind the bent pyramid the reason it's bent is because and like this is this is accepted basically everywhere i don't even see people who are skeptical of this deny this mm-hmm. they were building the pyramid so vertical that it was so heavy on the inner chambers that it caused the pyramid to be um, unstable on the inside. Mm-hmm. So Senefru, the the pharaoh, says, "Okay, well, we're not going to build it so vertical anymore. We're going to make the top, you know, forty percent of it more shallow." And so mm-hmm. it ends up looking like it's bent in the middle, right? To take weight off of the inner chambers. Well, <clears throat> he, you know, that's acknowledged by basically everybody that that it was built that way because of because they didn't want to make the inner chambers unstable but there are mm-hmm. people who are still skeptical and they look at it and they go well yeah but i mean look at the architecture we don't have an understanding of how the egyptians were able to do this which is true uh we you know we don't even know how they built this which is true um we don't know how they <laughs> quarried and and carried all these stones to this site which is also true um the problem is inside built into the structure are logs called cedars of lebanon that came from the middle east from the phoenician area and when they're when the when the trees are studied they mm-hmm. date back 4500 years 
and uh, to exactly the time of the old kingdom. And they are built into the ceiling of the bent pyramid. Now, here's the problem. This is what I was telling Danny. This is why I think this is such a glaring thing about if if the pyramids are in, are the best example. You know, that's like the first one people jump to of this lost civilization. Mm-hmm. If that roof and, you know, uh, engineers and architects can go look at the pyramid it, themselves, and there are people who go in there like, yeah, this thing is freaking dangerous. Like this roof is going to collapse at some point. I, maybe yeah. not in our lifetime, maybe the next lifetime, it's going to collapse. And, uh, <clears throat> And, you know, nobody disagrees that the roof is being, yeah, so you can see it there on the, on the bottom left. Um, wheels on a sharp cart be like, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, so there's nobody, even skeptics, who disagree that the roof is unstable. Now, here's the problem. If the roof was unstable 12,000 years ago, it probably wouldn't have lasted long enough for the Egyptians to walk around on the inside and be like, we need to put some dang trees in the ceiling in here. Right. You know? So probably it was built at the same time that those trees were put in the ceiling, which is a giant glaring yeah. issue in the idea of the pyramids not being built by the Egyptians. Because the, it's, it's the exact same architecture. It's the, it's mm. the precursor that you can see. You can, like, if we look at it in the order that Egyptology says, you go to the Saqqara Step Pyramid, and I'm mm. sure you guys have seen that. Then you go to the Pyramid of Maidum. Have you ever guys heard? Have you guys ever heard of that? I don't think uh, so. No. It's it's the collapsed pyramid. So the the outer structure was made in some kind of limestone that that wasn't or like a sandstone of some kind um, that wasn't very stable. So it just like it, the mm. whole outside just it's like powder dust now. The yeah. inner chambers survived, and I'm not sure what they're made out of. Maybe it's limestone or maybe it's granite. Um, so that was the first pyramid built by Senefru. Then he goes to build the next one, but he builds it too tall. So he's got to make the roof more shallow. And mm. he completes it, but he's like, nope, that's not good enough. So Start then he builds then he builds the first, the actual first Great Pyramid. So there's actually four, um, mm. which, is the, which is the Red Pyramid. Have you guys ever seen this before? No. <clears throat> yeah, look up the Red Pyramid. It's the first Great Pyramid. So you have the three okay. Great Pyramids on the Giza Plateau. There's actually one that came before it. And it's made out of a red limestone. So when the sun shines on it, it's like this oh, wow. giant glaring red pyramid. It's super cool. Now, here's another interesting mystery about this, though. At the Saqqara Necropolis, where the step pyramid is constructed, um, <clears throat> you can see the, the funerary texts and hieroglyphics that are written about the Pharaoh Joger, who we know was buried in that pyramid mm-hmm. because we found, uh, I think, like DNA evidence of his ankle inside of the inside of the sarcophagus that he's supposed to be in. OK, wow. for whatever reason, his body was looted, but they forgot. But they left the ankle behind. Which is ankle. Yeah, that's that's the red pyramid. This and you can see it's really neat. Oh, you can see, see the, the, the bent pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so the red pyramid's like the is like the coolest, most unknown pyramid in in Egypt. That's legit. So, <clears throat> what's this now? This isn't a perfect explanation for Egypt, though, because at the Saqqara Necropolis, like I was saying, we do see funerary texts and hieroglyphics that depict the exact person that was buried in here and him in the afterlife, div- visiting divine sanctuaries and performing miracles and all this stuff in the afterlife, right? Well, why don't we see that in the Pyramid of Medum? And then we don't mm. see it in the Bent Pyramid. And then we don't see it in the Red Pyramid. 
all all three of those were built by Djoser's successor, Senefru, so they say, right? Okay, well, after Senefru, he has a son named Khufu. Khufu mm -hmm. builds the Great Pyramid on the Giza Plateau, the biggest one, okay? But then Khufu doesn't put his name anywhere. Khufu doesn't build any monuments outside of the pyramid to put his name on. He doesn't carve his name. There's no hieroglyphs anywhere inside the pyramid. His body was never found. And then he has a son, Khafre, who mm -hmm. builds a pyramid that's like 10 meters shorter out of respect for his father. And then he doesn't put his name anywhere on the pyramid. And then he has a son, Menkure, who builds a pyramid. And then he doesn't put his name anywhere on the pyramid. And so you mean to tell me, like, four generations of rulers, six yeah. pyramids, not one of their names are carved anywhere, anywhere. But the precedent had already been set up before them. Jozier put his name around the pyramid. So... Mm. That's a real mystery, you know, and it like is. I said, and it, and it go it actually goes along with what I said earlier. Like you look at a lot of these uh, bigger megalithic sites that have no art on them; they have no hieroglyphics. Um, the Egyptians, it's important to, to acknowledge that they actually didn't value art. Like they didn't they didn't value ingenuity in the way that like the Greeks did. They wanted everything mm -hmm. to stay the same because when you were carved in stone, that was timeless. When everything mm -hmm. changed in Egypt, Egypt falls apart. But they do have hieroglyphs and they do have art, but they don't, they don't, or no, I should say they don't value innovation. So they don't value like uh, art changing over time. They wanted everything to stay exactly the same for thousands of years. They wanted it to be like timeless. Mm. Um, but they were big on marking their names on things. Like, like Ramses the Great marked his name on everything all across Egypt. Of course, he lived mm -hmm. a thousand years after that, supposedly. But yeah, I mean, you have this giant, uh, you have this giant like plot hole, I guess, in the uh, in the story of ancient Egypt, which is like, why does it start off with pharaohs using funerary text, and then we have this giant gap during the most enigmatic uh, construction projects of of the entire ancient world? We don't actually know who writ who wrote it because it wasn't written in stone like everything mm -hmm. else in Egypt is. Huge mystery, you know? Yeah, so it leaves a person like me who I'm pretty down the middle. Like, I try to be pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. Even I even I am like, well, you know, the cedars of Lebanon are, are 4,500 years old, and they were built into the roof. And if the roof mm -hmm. was constructed 12,000 years ago, it would have caved in by now. Yeah. Uh, because, ar because any architect will tell you this. Any architect will tell you this roof ain't going to last another 8,000 years. Yeah. So. But then it's also you. But then it's also like, okay, well, why isn't his name written anywhere in this? And uh, when the pyramid before it did have the name written in it, so a lot of that's mystery. Weird. Yeah, that's you know that's why so many people are fascinated by by this topic. You know. So, so do you ascribe to the belief that the Egyptians found the Sphinx and then it and then they changed its appearance to give it that head of the pharaoh? Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I subscribe. So here's the problem. So mm -hmm. I am an anthropologist. I can't necessarily, when I can right. help it, I shouldn't subscribe to anything. Right. I should mm -hmm. let, I should let the data point me towards my, uh, yeah. I should let the data point me towards my conclusions. Um, but you know, you look at the proportions of it and you look at other Sphinx that are around Egypt. 
the Egyptians had an idea of proper proportions. Like they, oh, they yeah. can, they also, they constructed plenty of other Sphinx that weren't just, uh, they had Sphinx that weren't, that weren't meant to be lions. Like they had mm -hmm. rams and different things like that. And when they create it, it's properly proportioned, but the head is, is tiny. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it certainly seems like, at least I would think that it was probably a lion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's what everybody thinks, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, even Egyptologists say it's a human lion. I, I would not be surprised in the slightest if, if an earlier culture at some point carved that into a lion's head and mm -hmm. a Pharaoh went in there and carved it into a portrait of himself instead, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Would it surprise me if it was done 12,000 years ago? Yeah. Not really. I mean, well, like mm. it would surprise me, but not really. I mean, it's yeah. you know, stuff keeps getting older. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, things keep, keep things keep on getting older and Gobekli Tepe really shows that Dude, people yeah. at, people at exactly that time could do things like that. That so, amazes me. Yeah, yeah. But was Gobek is this at the same time as Gobekli Tepe proof of Atlantis or like a or like a world spanning civilization? Um, I don't think so, but, I, I, mm -hmm. but it does prove that that far back in time, there were civil, there were civilizations that were that big. And right. does that prove that like that civilization was in contact with people in ancient Peru? Mm -hmm. No, but there's a whole lot of similarities there. And it kind of seems like the web is slowly starting to get to a place where traditional academia never thought it would be right mm -hmm. um so what i think the truth is is probably somewhere in the middle of graham hancock and academia it's probably yeah. somewhere right in this I, area i know? agree i <clears throat> it's one of my favorite things about graham is he's not afraid to go out on a limb yeah. um but uh the gobekli tepe has intrigued me ever since i heard about it and i think the biggest thing that i that gives significance to me about it is that this when it was supposedly built, human beings were still just hunter gatherers incapable mm -hmm. of building something like that. And it totally casts those assumptions to the wind. Yeah. Um, I've heard the theory too, that it was cause it's built uh, the way it's built um, that it's like the first indicator of like organized religion. Is that something that, you know, that anthropologists believe, or is that more just kind of like the internet folklore of it? Oh no, no. I mean, uh Gobekli Tepe like totally blows um all preconceived ideas out of the water. Um you know, it definitely shows that I, I'm pretty sure that there are there are uh, astronomical alignments at Gobekli Tepe, like these stela mm -hmm. are aligned to planets in the sky. Um <clears throat> the problem with Gobekli Tepe is is I think I think that only five or ten percent of the entire site has been excavated. It's like a mm -hmm. giant site. The problem yeah. the problem with it is it's not a city, right? So, you know, when people jump real quickly to and I sound like I'm like I sound like I'm like pushing people's hopes down. I want everybody to know. No, no, man. I just love the ancient world. Like anything to do mm -hmm. with ancient history, I love it. It doesn't have to be Atlantis. Like I think some people grasp onto Atlantis and they want that to be true. Like, mm -hmm. bro. <laughs> You know, people get attached to Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. All that is real, dude. Ancient history is Lord of the Rings. All yeah. of this, it, you know, there's this world is just 
I don't know. It's amazing. I, I'm infatuated with all of it. So even though I'm saying this may not be what some people think it is, you know, I don't want to like dampen people's enjoyment of something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with Gobekli Tepe is it's clearly, I don't have to, I don't want to necessarily say religious, but it's a, it is a site of particular significance that is not somebody's home, right? It mm-hmm. has some kind of purpose to the site, but there's not a city connected to it. And if mm-hmm. you're going to make a connection between Gobekli Tepe and Atlantis, well, where's the city? Where are all the people living? Because if Atlantis spans all the way across the planet and connects people to ancient Peru, then mm-hmm. I would imagine that they're going to have, Yeah, I'm going to imagine they're going to have cities that are at least as nice as Rome, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what I tell people is when I think of Atlantis, I think if it existed, and dude, I mean, we didn't even get to this, um, but like, I mean, think about, think about the way that the Bible and the book of Enoch, you know, depicts mm-hmm. the, the time before the cataclysm, that clearly mm-hmm. there were beings on this earth who were maybe the same beings that people are experiencing when they're on their ayahuasca journeys or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and there's some kind of higher civilization that's going on. I don't know that it spans the whole planet. I don't even know that they're all connected. It could be ancient Peru and something going on in Turkey and in Egypt that are not all connected to each other, not physically that the people know of, but maybe there's something going on outside of our reality that connects it all. I don't know. That's Mm kind of woo-woo. But, you know, I I tell people that if there's some kind of ancient lost technology that's able to build these structures, it was probably a perfect non-upgradable simple technology that Mm -hmm. maximized you know uh if there is a if there is a grand design of our earth in a way that materials need to interact with each other it was probably a perfect understanding of that with a perfectly Mm. simple clean form of technology i'm not saying wires i'm not saying something that could run your phone i'm saying maybe something as simple as like a mirror made out of the right type of stone or mineral that you reflect light off of it and it's a freaking laser that cuts granite like i'm just that's like a that's a totally out there thing but i'm thinking like if we had a perfect understanding of our reality what kind of wild stuff could we do and i would think probably atlantis would we would see it and we would think of greece or rome something Mm -hmm. like that you know when i think when i think of that i would not think that they have a civilization that rivals our own in terms of technology I would think that people are looking for a lost Rome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something similar, something yeah. to that effect that's made out of images of, of like the Greek Acropolis at its at its height or something, you know. That's yeah, that's the image that I get. Something like like a Greek Acropolis at its height, you know, the Parthenon, something mm-hmm. something like that with a perfect understanding of simple non-upgradable technology. That's getting way out there. But that would be that would be the extent of what I would believe um, that I wouldn't be surprised if it was true in some way. Now, here's the other thing is I also wouldn't be surprised if one day they just found one city that dates back to 10,000 B.C. That is on par with the that's on par with Athens, Greece. And mm. then people are like, this is Atlantis. Whoa. This right. is Atlantis. It's not connected to the whole planet, but this mm-hmm. is a freaking city this big 12,000 years ago. 
you know, yeah. and then we and then we all kind of accept, okay, well, it's not actually connected to ancient Peru. Ancient Peru just has its own thing going on that's really hard to explain. But I I would feel really comfortable saying there's probably a city out there that's on scale with Gobekli Tepe that's actually a full on city that's actually made out of stone. And when people when people find it, they'll go, oh, this is Atlantis. This is where all the stories come from. Just like they That'd found. That'd be amazing. Gold. That would be my explanation of Atlantis. And they probably really did something exceptional for people to, to be talking about it through the Bible, through the Quran, through all mm -hmm. these ancient texts. And then somewhere along the way, there was ancient texts that made its way through Egypt that we don't have access to now that these priests knew about that they told Solon about, you know? Mm -hmm. So there were clearly a bunch of people talking about a city of some kind or a civilization of some kind that existed way earlier. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I have like a kind of a different view on it than most people. I don't I don't really subscribe no, to the worldwide thing, but I really I wouldn't either. be surprised. I really wouldn't be surprised if Atlantis was one civilization that existed in the old world 12,000 years ago. And I won't I be agree I wouldn't be surprised if they found the city and they go they go boom, this is it. It it mm -hmm. definitely did exist, you know. Yeah. No, I could see that too. I've, and uh, grandma's grandma's my introduction to the younger Dryas and the pre cataclysmic uh, idea of a civilization before that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I could totally see random pops up of of culture and civilization and all that prior to that. Not necessarily um, global culture on the way we think about it today in, in 2023. But um, I. Uh, I know we're coming up on three hours, but I just want to ask you one oh, yeah, question. You're okay, you've brought you've you've brought it up a few times, and we've made it almost back to a few times. Is you brought up when we talk about King Tut, um, and then you brought up Akhenaten, mm -hmm. right? So Akhenaten was King Tut's father, right? Yep. Yeah. Right. And so King Tut's um, original name wouldn't have been um, Tutankhamun; it would have been Tutank uh, Aten, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tutan, so not Tutankhamun like that. Aten, yeah. yeah. So what my so Zach, I know you're probably like, and everybody else is probably talking about shit that nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. But <laughs> my my my, I've always wondered like, what was the whole point of the of Akhenaten saying, now we're not going to be polytheistic, we're going to be monotheistic, mm -hmm. and it causing all of the crazy chaotic ripples that it did. Art changed, right? You have the Amarna period of Egyptian art, all of that changed, and then you know. King Tut reverted back to what the original idea of Egyptian religion was. Like what I've always wondered what the point, what somebody else's professional opinion is on what the point of that was just all of a sudden this weird blip where he's like, Nope, monotheism. Well, um, I honestly don't, I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I do mm. admire that you, you are, pretty well read as far as uh not many oh. people who like egypt know yeah. about what was going on in like 1300 bc egypt you know most people know <laughs> about old kingdom um but not many people know about like mid to new kingdom egypt especially mm -hmm. not around i mean akhenaten is famous and nefertiti is famous and, mm -hmm. and king tut are famous but mostly just famous for stuff that's happened recently you know like mm -hmm. 100 years ago king tut's tomb was found um <clears throat> but man dude it could be as simple as he was a freaking psycho because, mm -hmm. you know, sure. when, when he, when he built, um, so do you know that he built his own city? Like he mm -hmm. traveled. So, so Wasn't he was called in Marna. 
Well, I thought his city was called Aten. Was it? Zach, can you look it up real quick? I don't want to be don't want to be fucking wrong, that's for sure. City of what? what am I looking at? Uh, or he moved yeah, the was... capital to Amarna or something like oh, that. Oh, well, that may that may be where the location was called, but I yeah. I think he called the city Aten because probably, he, I'm sure you're right. I think, Luke, I, think sure. he, <laughs> I think he named himself Aken Aten and mm. Aten was kind of uh, I think that's reference to the the god of the sun because he worshiped the sun disk, you know, like yeah. in all the hieroglyphs you see it's it's the circular sun disk with the rays coming down on him. Yeah. Um, I trust Luke way more than you trust me listening to I can listen, yeah. I find myself yeah. I find myself saying something sometimes and then I look into it and I'm Same. like how could I be so wrong? I th- I right. like thought I knew this 100%. So yeah. yeah. Um it's all, that, it's all that knowledge in your brain. <laughs> but it is so, it is often A T E N. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. It but didn't it last was, long. No, heck no it didn't. 1349 to 1336 BC is roughly where they think it exists like yeah, existed yeah. and thrived. 1300s BC. It's a super interesting time though, man. So so what happens is he basically says that all of Egypt is monotheistic and all Egyptians are like, "What?" So he had a lot of uh he had a lot of revolt against him, but you know, he was the pharaoh, so he had like ultimate power. So mm-hmm. he decides to you know, and this like a lot of people think that maybe he was divinely inspired, like maybe he knew something that somebody else didn't, or maybe he was just all about himself, right? Because mm-hmm. he he told people that he was the physical incarnation of the god Aten, which was mm-hmm. the sun god or the god of the sun disk, which is really just the sun. You know, they thought that the sun was like a flat disk that was in the sky, you know. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so <clears throat> What's interesting is is there was he had a vision, I, you know, he was probably uh, he probably was high off of like uh, something similar to ayahuasca, like, like the lotus flower or something like mm-hmm. that. I can't quite remember what it is, um, but but Egyptians, they depict this and he was probably, you know, when they say that, you know, they go into this shamanic state or, or they have shamans in ancient Egypt, I, I can almost guarantee they're just getting absolutely blaze on Lit. something and yeah. seeing something you know Tripping. whether or not that something is real whether or not that something's real i don't know because mm-hmm. it said that he would see the sun he knew where he was going to build his city when he would see the sun setting between uh two mountains to rise in the east sets in the west to the west mm-hmm. and um so i believe that the capital was in memphis egypt at the time mm-hmm. right so Memphis, Egypt is in Lower Egypt, which is actually Northern Egypt because the Nile mm-hmm. runs north. Okay, so <clears throat> so it used to so it's in Memphis, Egypt, and then at one point I think it was in uh, Hierakonopolis, which is uh, uh, it's like the Egyptian name for the actual capital of e- of Upper Egypt. Golly, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name, but anyways, right. so you have you have Lower Egypt and you have Upper Egypt. Well, this place that he found himself when he's going on this expedition is right in the middle between the capitals of, of Upper and Lower Egypt. Okay, mm-hmm. it's right in the middle, and he wakes up. Or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It's the sunrise. He was going to see the sunrise between two mountains because it was from the east. Because mm-hmm. um, I was thinking, this is he's on the he's on the east side of the Nile River, so he wouldn't see the mountains rising on the west, or he wouldn't see the mountains on the west. He see mountains on the east. So the sun rises, and he wakes up at like five o'clock in the morning to to go you know and he's like stressed out because he can't find where the new capital of egypt is going to be wakes up early in the morning and he walks out away from the camp like with some of his guards or whatever and the and as the sun rises it rises between two mountains 
from mm. the east. And it just so happened to be exactly from where he was standing. And you can go see that sunrise today. Um, wow. <clears throat> and so he built he built the city of Aten right there. And it was almost like divine prophecy in some way, even though the city didn't turn out to be anything. This is why I say like, there's a lot of really weird crap that just it kind of all adds up. Mm-hmm. Um, so he built the city of Aten there. And the reason I say earlier that he may have just been a psycho is because it's documented that the working conditions were terrible. Like there are people mm-hmm. that are buried under the structures that are constructed there because blocks fell on them and they just kept the people Holy underneath crap. the block because it wasn't worth moving the block. Yeah, and people would like break their people were starving, blocks would fall on their legs, on their arms and break their legs and arms. Bodies were mutilated and like thrown in the graves. I mean, there are graves around the city of Aten that uh that they Just that they know graves. yeah yeah that they know were from workers that were there because they're like you know mid-age guys like us that get their arm broken or their leg broken and then right. they just throw them in the grave or something yeah yeah and yeah. so they die um and so they're like workers graves and they they know that they were workers because there's no females anywhere you know so you've got all these men here building this city um and so it just didn't work out like he didn't utilize egypt's economy properly at all Mm -hmm. so he and nefertiti are pretty hated throughout egypt and uh and tutten and tutten or um he he wasn't very well liked either i think that they were probably glad that he died young yeah Um, so yeah it could have been that he was on to something but if he was it really didn't flesh out in anything because his city collapsed like Man, I I don't think it was I don't think it was fully built because you go to it today and it's like foot mounds of of buildings like the buildings aren't even there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the cool thing that came out of that is you know the bust of Nefertiti, like the little yeah. statue that's that was found under that was found like buried in the ground in the corner of some building. In uh, like it was a building that they think of that was a uh, like an artisan who was making busts of these people like sculptures. And he was working on Nefertiti when the city of Aten was abandoned. And he just left the bust in, in the house. He didn't, he didn't think it was worth bringing with him back to Memphis or wherever he lived. So he left it there and somehow nobody ever showed up and looted it. And it ended up probably fell on the wow. ground and, and got buried by the sands of time. And somebody found it in like the early 1900s. Yeah, Dang. isn't that like that, that thing? All things, how yeah. does that go untouched? You know, it's like he was commissioned to to do this, and then their shit fell apart, and he's like, "I'm done with this," like you know, mm-hmm. craziness, mm-hmm. you know. And then just what thousands of years later, some random person. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. one of the coolest things about history is that you can just stumble into something, and it could just be a thousand years old. Like those people that find those those like Viking swords in the North Sea and stuff like that. It's just like you're out there one day skipping stones and you're like is that it is a sword it's just in this tide pool you know yeah it's it's crazy about that with earth sometimes just even uh over here in new york you have the adirondacks at like the appalachian Mm -hmm. mountain range it's like Mm -hmm. the oldest it's the oldest mountain range on earth today yeah Um, Yeah, it's the first mountain range yeah and Mm -hmm. it's uh been just whittled down it used to be higher than mount everest and it's just been whittled down through like mm-hmm. weather and erosion that they're not that tall anymore it was, it was twice as high as mount everest i think yeah i think point. so too and but like um, when, I, when i go and hike them i'm like the rock i'm standing on is the oldest rock potentially Dude. on this planet 
Like that's it's yeah. wild to me. Yeah, it's it's amazing, man. Like I wish, you know, sometimes I wish like like before I die, you know, I can be like be like God, don't why don't you just let me be like an invisible being that can fly through time and space for a while? You know, I'll come back in like a a thousand years, you know? Yeah. And I would just love to like rewind time and watch things unfold. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Travel to the that. other side of the universe and see what it's mm-hmm. like, you know? I really want to know. I really want to know. This is what I think about. Okay. We'll 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 close on this one because I I got my I like day it. job in the morning. I got to. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. I know, dude. We, we've gone like almost three hours. I've thought about this before. <clears throat> you know, we talk about like life on other planets and stuff like that. <clears throat> Something about me, and it's probably biased because I am human. I wonder if the humanoid, you know, because I think. I think we would call Neanderthals and Homo erectus and Homo habilis. I think we would call all of them human as well. Like, I think they fall underneath the hominid, you know, like, you know, like the, uh, the Vitruvian man. That's like the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the Leonardo da Vinci. You know, what, mm-hmm. what we're supposed to look like. I mm-hmm. wonder if this humanoid form, if we find other higher intelligence out there in the universe, I wonder if there'll be a hominid if they'll be a human of some kind. I wonder if we are the, you know, because they say like, well, in the Bible it says we were made in the image of God. I mm-hmm. wonder if the universe's um, like physical manifestation is a human. You know what I mean? When the universe creates cognitive, like cognitive life, if it, w- if it would be a human, if we were to find other beings out there if they would look like us like have you ever seen the movie prometheus like the uh, alien versus predator Mm -hmm. movie remember remember how he's like this he's like this blank slate humanoid yeah Yeah. he's like a humanoid he's like a blank slate of a humanoid oh crap hold on give me a second we've been filming for so long my camera's getting on um i know how to fix this Y'all might have to cut this out. Overheating <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah, and as you can, if you're watching our episode, you can see this absolutely adorable photo of Luke in the back, with maybe holding, maybe holding oh. a camera. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's it's me as an explorer. <laughs> oh, he's got binoculars, of course, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Meant to be. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's weird, right? Um, yeah, Manifest so if, if I turn If I turn my camera down from 4K to 1080p, I think that stops mm-hmm. it from overheating. Um, okay. <clears throat> anyways, um, so in the movie Prometheus, when he's that like blank slate of like an all-white humanoid thing when he goes down and plants life on the Earth, mm-hmm. I wonder if well, that is just... Plant- the- to plant life on the earth, he actually dies into the earth, doesn't he? Oh, is that what he does? I haven't yeah, seen he like, he, does, he drinks something and kind of like yeah, becomes... he drinks something and dissolves into the planet, and then life yeah. sprouts from him. So it would it would correlate if if universe is supposed to be humanoid, then it was a humanoid thing that planted the life to Dude, this. That movie, that I like movie where you're going so though. Good. Yeah, you know? I agree. Um, but yeah, man, that's kind of I wonder if you know. If we found other things out there, I mean, I guess even like little aliens would would qualify as humanoid, you know, because they've got mm-hmm. two legs and two arms and a head. Um, <clears throat> but 
yeah, I wonder if if our if something about us is like intrinsically perfect for what we're supposed to be. You know, what I mean, I know yeah. I know that on planet Earth we are, but I wonder about in space because as far as we know, all the molecules and elements of life are the same. So if life if there's other life out there that is cognizant like we are, mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder if there's a connection there. If we were to find life, if it would be other hominids that were out there, they may not look exactly like us, you know. Heck, they may like, like based, cavemen or something. You know? yeah, I don't know. I feel like based on like whatever mm-hmm. elements additionally are present on their planet that may not be p- present here, that mm-hmm. they could be hominids and they're just different some way because of the environmental impacts it had on their evolution. Exactly right. Like, like I wonder. If we were to come across like some kind of, if we were to come across like some kind of desert planet, right, that mm-hmm. barely has any water Arrakis. at all, like, yes, yes, yeah, I don't, I just thought about that as you said that, mm-hmm. because you know they wouldn't look, they actually wouldn't look like the, um, what are the people called that live on Arrakis? I can't remember. Dude, I know, I, I just know. was starting this. Yeah, Dune, Dune, look it up, Zach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the people, I forget what the people are called that live there, but they're like the native people, but that's not what they would mm-hmm. look like. Their, their nose, they would look like snakes almost because mm-hmm. they're, they would have like eyelids that cover up their eyes to protect them from the dust. They wouldn't have, right. they the, would have the like Freeman? eyebrows. They would or have the, like the, the what? Fremen? They're called the Freeman? Fremen, Fremen. Yeah, yeah. The Fremen, they would have, no, Fremen. Fremen. They would have like super low eyebrows and like really squinted eyes to protect their eyes from the dust. And they would have like, either like downturned noses to protect them from getting dust up in their eyes, but they would look some kind of like weird reptile person that's mm-hmm. fit for surviving in the desert. And I would just wonder if we were to come across a, uh, some other planet, if we'd be like, holy, what? You're a human, but you look different than us because you right. adapted for different things. You That'd know? be amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of That's kind of my thinking. I like that. Dude, we we have to have you on again, man. I yeah. would love to do. I would love to do the Bible side by side, and just all the other those other texts, the like Book of Enoch, all that stuff, and and to talk more, dude. Because like I I wanted to talk about Gobekli Tepe a little bit more too, and Tepekuru mm-hmm. and all those those different areas. And dude, there's just so much shit, dude. We could keep talking. We have to have more episodes, and we definitely oh, I know. Will. I know. I yeah, wanna, yeah, man. I I, I would love I, if if Luke was up for it. I'd love to have him on. Because you're kind of interested in the aliens and all this type of stuff, I'd love to have you on for our Planet Nine discussion. And the Planet an- Nine discussion. Yeah, it was like a it was the theory of uh, uh, like there's a ninth planet that apparently has like humanoid people on it, and every so often it comes into our solar system, and comes close enough to Earth, and that's where actually humans came from. Is it crossed from that planet to Earth? Really? Yeah. And is this the whole Nibiru thing? Uh, no, it's supposed to sign. It's, it's the that. it's like Planet know. Nine to so like Anu Anunnaki, and then uh, yeah. there's the yeah, there's the um, yeah, on the connected to Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so the, okay. yeah, it would. So it's it's the idea mostly that like humans are not actually from this planet, uh, and we're like we're the only species that can't like live on this planet in harmony. We have to cultivate mm-hmm. and change it to live here. It's because mm-hmm. we're not actually from here. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Dude, I know. <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't but, be yeah. surprised. Like you know, I just um, as an anthropologist, I try to be like real grounded, and mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, in my videos, you probably won't see me entertaining stuff like this, but in a podcast setting, shoot, man. Um, you? you know, yeah, dude. I'm so glad you came Crazy on, dude, for real. It would be. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is, uh, you were, you talked earlier about like destiny and like things in the making. This is, this is legit the, the episode why I started wanted to start doing this this podcast so like for real man it means a lot to me that you came on and we had this big ass conversation yeah and um because so much we covered a lot of ground and you know there's so much more to cover which is the amazing thing about our planet and um yeah we have to have you back on and i don't want to wait that long either i don't want people to like lose you know the (laughs) the luke magic man so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh yeah is there anything you want to you want to say in conclusion before we hop off here yeah, well, thank you guys both for having me on and, and uh, mm-hmm. for all the nice compliments you paid me. Uh, that that means sure. a lot. And um, yeah, it's um, it's really um, it's really cool just getting to be asked to come on people's shows and just talk about ancient history with them and, and to mm-hmm. have people, um, you know, it's like an honor to, to just be seen as somebody who's like a harbinger of this kind of topic or somebody who knows something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it means a lot to me that, that you guys had me on and enjoyed having me on and, you know, are, are like, eh, we're not inviting him back on. Um, <laughs> Hell no. you know? oh, you're coming back. So, <laughs> Whether um, you want to or not. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank both of you guys for your service. You know, y'all both did something oh, that y'all both did something support. that I never, that I never had the, um, I never took the jump to do it. And, Until uh, Trent talks you into going to go yeah. into special recon. Yeah. It's probably it's probably too late for me on that, but I will always regret it. You know, yeah. um, no, I don't 20, regret it, dude. I'm, I'm 26 now, mm-hmm. and I think about it, and I didn't actually fully decide that I was going to go all in on the history stuff until I was 22, 23. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my wife about it sometimes. I'm like, I'm like, I could have done it. I could have done it even before I decided I was going to start making videos on this. You know, I could have been out by 22 or 23. 39 um, I think be the is right the cutoff. Moment. So. 39 is cut off. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So you have a hard time keeping up with the 20 year olds at uh in doc if you're uh, doing. But that I bet, though, so. but I bet if you're that if you're that much older than everybody, you shoot up the ranks though. You know that that's what I've heard about people. You know, you don't. No, oh, you come mind. in just like the only thing that time might not to like still, take off too much when we wrap it up is yeah, time of service and time of grade. Like they still matter, but like the only thing I think that would set you apart is the maturity level. Because if you're the same rank as somebody who's in the 18 to 22 group, and you're 30, you know, I had a friend who went with their tech school who was 32, and mm. you, it's just just a, a mental leap there with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that may help you because people, you know, you'll, you'll have a different work ethic. You'll have a different thought mm-hmm. process on things. You'll understand, you know, hierarchy and stuff like that a little bit better. So that kind of will help you in that aspect, yeah. but not, not in the like objective way of like, yep. Okay. You're, you're older. Here's E5. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. I, I just say that because I, um, I used to work at a nursing home. And mm-hmm. one of the guys that was there, he was in the Air Force. He was he was like he was like a career guy. Like he he mm-hmm. stayed in for his whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think from he joined up at twenty eight, and he mm-hmm. was there until he was sixty four, sixty five, something like that. And uh, and he, I told him, I was like, I was like, man, you joined when you were twenty eight. How was that? And I was probably twenty when I had this conversation with him, and he mm-hmm. was like, oh, it was fine. I kept up with everybody. And I was like, I was like, what was it like? with the people who were a lot younger than you, you know, the guys who were six years younger than you, 22 fresh out of college. And he told me, and I guess maybe that it was just uh, part of the times that he was in, but 
but he was like he's like yeah i shot up the ranks way way past everybody you know well, it, it, all the maturity does help you promote it and maybe too yeah. like i don't know what what his what he was but like enlisted versus officer promotions are are different too not like not in a lot of ways but like i think the way that you get looked at if you have a more mature outlook and you're able to I think be he, more I think responsible he was enlisted. i think he was enlisted because okay. he was some yeah. kind of super high-ranking sergeant okay yeah you yeah. so yeah definitely your maturity level like zach is saying is going to play a factor absolutely because especially if you've had a job before they know that you can handle different tasks and you know yeah. you're not learning this isn't your first job out of high school maybe you were working at dairy queen and now you're in the air force or something you yeah. Know? yeah but yeah but anyway, yeah, sure. yeah, dude, thank, thank you for real for coming on. And for everybody listening, go check out Luke Caverns, um, Instagram and YouTube, wherever else you, you know, you were just on concrete, concrete podcast and listen to that when it comes out and, um, you know, please check us out as well. Um, give us a like and follow over on social media and, um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Google podcasts. So Luke, yep. thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, we'll catch you, uh, on the next episode and everybody else on the next yeah, episode. Sometime soon. Absolutely, dude. Yes, have a good night. What's going on, Fire fans? I Came With Fire podcast is sponsored by Red Clover Coffee and Sheep's Clothing, LLC. Red Clover Coffee is a veteran-owned company with small batch roasted coffees, and they just happen to donate to some pretty awesome charities. Whether you're into specialty flavored coffees, single-source coffees, or having a really cool coffee mug and some badass slaps, Red Clover has you covered. You can order ground, whole bean, or even coffee pods and get it all at 10% off your entire purchase using coupon code CAMEWITHFIRE. Again, that's 10% off your entire purchase using our coupon code CAMEWITHFIRE. I personally love their Blueberry Invasion and African Roast. That Blueberry Invasion hits the spot. Head over and get yourself some awesome coffee and support us by supporting our sponsor. I Came With Fire podcast is also sponsored by Sheep's Clothing, LLC. Sheep's Clothing LLC is a unifying banner for all violent arts, disciplines, professions, and survivors of violent circumstances. Redefine violence. Both Zach and I being survivors of violent circumstances and LEOs in the military, we are especially excited to be able to offer you 10% off your entire purchase with coupon code FIRE10 at checkout. Whether you're looking for an awesome t-shirt, hats, slaps, flags, or MMA gear, they've got you covered. Me personally, I love my snapback with the leather patch surrounded by God's flannel. If you know, you know. That's coupon code FIRE10, F-I-R-E-1-0, at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. Thank you all so much for supporting this podcast, and if you should feel compelled, treat yourself by supporting our sponsors as well. They truly make a difference for us, now let's make a difference for them. See you on the next show.